Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Binges with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. And welcome back. I don't know what I have no idea what I was doing there, Matthew. But <laughs> <laughs> welcome back, guys. Episode one eighty seven. Matt, what are we reviewing this week? I, I had you know I was trying to I was gonna try to do something witty and funny, but Nothing just wasn't wasn't happening this week. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it's it's okay. I I was thinking more of a like a, I don't know if this is even the right term, but like fee five fo fum is that more like a giant? That's not a troll, is it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving <You're> on. Correct. <laughs> you are correct. That is not a troll. Uh, but regardless, to this week we are doing our foreign film of the month, which is the Norwegian film Troll. Written and directed by Roar Uthrog. Did we, did we get that right? Maybe? Uthog. Uth, Uthog. Uthog. Okay. Um, he is the director behind Tomb Raider, the 2018 version, and uh, is also co written by Espen Uk. Aachen. Aachen. That checks out. That's how I, that's how yeah. I read that. Espen Aachen. Yeah, these, these names are a little bit hard to pronounce. Um, which I did not know before I started watching this. I kind of found out afterward that it stands as Netflix's most watched non-English movie to date, which mm. I find that very interesting given the fact that I have never – I had not known – I did like I, typically that's like a draw, like something they want to advertise, but none of that. Hadn't heard that before. Yeah, hadn't heard <laughs> that at all, which I find it quite interesting that they're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is – yeah, this is the most, you know, Netflix's most watched non-English movie ever, but it's fine. You know, you watch it, don't watch it, we don't care. <laughs> I feel like that's something, yeah, that would have, that's something they would advertise. It's like, come watch this movie. Um, but yeah, but anyway, it's been a movie for our radar, I guess for good reason, because a lot of people are watching it. Maybe you have already watched it as you're listening to this episode. I, yeah, uh, well, we hope so. We would, <laughs> and if you didn't, we're going to... If you're listening to this episode, you should know by now that if you're going to the review... Like, we talk as if you've already seen the movie. Correct. So. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I look forward to having this conversation with you. It's been a minute since we've done a foreign film of the month. As we, If you've been actively listening, you know that we've been kind of covering all the bigger, the, the big movies that came out of the block, summer blockbuster season. Now we're kind of winding down to that. We had, like, I mean, there's, we're kind of trickling. We're, we're prepping for the Oscars-ish. I mean, we're, we're, I wouldn't say we're prepping for the Oscars, but, like, the movies that the Oscars – would like the films that would be nominated for Oscars are typically coming out around now. It's Oscar bait season. It's Oscar bait season. Yeah. Definitely. When we get to like late October, early November, definitely in December, probably January leading all the way to March, which is most likely when the award ceremony is happening. And then you also get like your, your small comedies, your dramas. So like, this is the time where we typically go to the streaming, see what's on there. And yeah, this week is just our foreign film of the month. And, um, I look forward to having this conversation with you. Uh, 
As do I, sir. Particularly because I feel like every time I relate to like big monster movies, it's always like Godzilla and King Kong. Not really anything else. Pacific Rim was kind of the outlier there, kind of your kaijus and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. never like from Norwegian, you know, from Norway, and definitely not a movie about a troll. So I feel like there's some mm. interesting aspects we can kind of dive into and see if it did the big monster movie justice. Um, I guess we'll find out a little bit later into the show, but. We have a lot of entertainment news to cover this week. It's been, uh, I think, two weeks since we last spoke. So Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of news to cover. One of the bigger ones, and it's something that we've been talking about for, I mean, ever since it started, was the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, and the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, that represents the movie studios and streamers, have reached a tentative agreement on a new three-year contract that promises to end the 146-day writer strike that has taken a heavy toll across Hollywood and the entertainment industry. That is fantastic news, just on that headline alone. Uh, Good to hear. Very much good to hear. Negotiators for the WGA and the AMPTP reached the finish line on Sunday, September 24th, after five consecutive days of negotiations. The WGA took to social media to say the WGA and the AMPTP have reached a tentative agreement. This was made possible by the enduring solidarity of WGA members and extraordinary support for our union siblings who have stood by us stood stood with us for over 146 days. More details coming after contract language is finalized, unquote. Uh, since the language is still being finalized, we do not know the details around the agreement, but in an email sent by WGA's negotiating committee to, uh, to members, it said, quote, we can say with great pride that this deal is exceptional, 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 with mm-hmm. meaningful gains and uh, meaningful gains and protections for writers in every sector of the membership. The email continued to say, to be clear, no one is to return to work until specifically authorized by the guild. We are on strike until then. So once the contract is signed and the agreement is finalized, writers can go back to work, which insiders say could be as soon as or before October 1st. So this is fantastic news, obviously. So this is <clears throat> it's exactly what we wanted to hear. So I'm wondering, but now, you know, my main question is I wonder what the concessions are going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, cause they're not, nobody's, you know, a real negotiations, like nobody's happy. Like they're right. meeting. So everybody's meeting somewhere in the middle. So I guess, you know, stay tuned, you know, we'll be able to find out more once we get to the, once we get to the middle, it'd be great to see, have everybody go back to work, especially after since these past couple of weeks with uh, Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher getting, um, them getting in trouble, which is such a, it's such a complicated issue because, mm-hmm. and you know, they're, you know, they are on strike, but then like a part of them, you, you want to feel compassion for them trying to look out for the other production people, you know, and then the argument people give is, you know, they're looking out for themselves because of this and that, but you know, it's hard when, you know, it's more than just when this, as we've seen, as the strike has affected more than just the writers and the producers, like it's literally shut the entire industry down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, we there was one version of this show that we were going to do a deep dive on what happened to Drew Barrymore and a little bit of touching on Bill Maher. But with the with 
looked like negotiations working out. I felt like it was a mute point to discuss that when this is, uh, you know, kind of happening. But at the yes. same time, though, the, the, the kind of the since we last spoke in the two weeks and the two weeks since our last record, a lot of stuff had happened with Drew Barrymore. And it was a little bit unfortunate because, like you were saying, it felt like she was trying to do the right thing. She's like, I have a lot of staffers. I have a lot of people working for this show and I want to get back to work. And she was in compliance with everything that was going on to restart back her show. Basically, the SAG I, I the SAG Astra, you know, was not being affected. She was not the the late night talk shows and the daytime shock talk shows have nothing to do with the strike. So by all means, under SAG, they were they were all good to go back and return. The problem was was the writers, in which the Drew Barrymore show said that they weren't going to employ WGA writers. And basically go without a writing staff. So there, there's your problem there. So like you're willing to go back to work and kind of prove to the uh, AMPTP that you can do a show without writers, but you don't want to set that precedent while we're going on strike. Mm. So that's a, it was a very complicated situation, and she went from going to return and go back to starting her show, and then she got boycotted. And basically, you know, kind of ostracized all over social media and online by her peers and fellow actors and fellow writers. And so much so that that people like the first day of production, people infiltrated her first day of production. They had to kick them out of the show. And then it just turned into this whole thing. And then eventually she said, we're not returning until the strikes are over. So, yeah, and that was a very difficult situation. And I'm sure Bill Maher was in the same both there is wanting to kind of return. And then ultimately he was like, nah, maybe not. I saw what happened with Drew Barrymore. I don't want to go down the same road. And the thing was, and the thing that was crazy about it, that Drew Mar- Barrymore was not the only person to say that they were going to be returning back. I think she just got the flank. She, I think she was the first one. And then yeah. all the attention got to her instead of the other daytime talk shows that were also returning without writers. So and then she issued, and then she issued some apology and then deleted it on on Instagram. It was mm-hmm. just like, what a mess. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. It really was. But that just goes to show, like how impactful this strike has has been mm-hmm. for these past 146 days. It's 46 days longer than what the previous strike was, which was only lasted 100 days. So in this case, this lasted for about a month and a half longer. And technically, right now, as of this recording on September 26th. It's still going. It's still ongoing. It has not. Yeah. It has not finished yet. They've just. We just gotten a lot. A lot closer to it being over, and therefore, you know, I think the WGA committee members, negotiating committee members, can confidently say that they are very, very close to ironing out a deal. Like you said, Ernesto, yeah. I am very curious to see what that deal actually was, and is it to what they say? Uh, go back to here that it's. Um, an exceptional deal with meaningful gains and protections for riders. I guess that will be determined if that's actually mm. the case. Um, so with that, what does that mean for the SAG Astra and the ongoing rider strike? Well, they're still on strike with the AMPTP, but the SAG Astra negotiating committee took the social media to show their support and solidarity, saying to our fellow union siblings, who served on the WGA negotiating committee, we extend our heartfelt congratulations on securing a tentative agreement with the AMPTP. We applaud your decision, uh, 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 
diligence and unwavering solidarity over the last five months and are proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with you as creative partners in the entertainment industry. We look forward to reviewing the terms of the WGA and the AMTPT's tentative agreement we and we remain ready to resume our own negotiations with the AMPTP as soon as they are prepared to engage on our proposals in a meaningful way. Until then, we continue to stand strong and unified. So obviously they're showing their support, but they're also anxiously waiting for like, all right, that's great. You know, you, you handle the writers. Now we're waiting for, for you guys to handle the actors. So all that being said, we're still, I think, I think we're a lot closer than we were. I think these are all good signs, ready to go back to work. I know that as soon as the, you know, I, I think barely before the ink dries on that signature and that contract is signed, uh, I've already reading that like talk shows are like prepping their staff to go back and ready to work. So that's good news for Nick DeLorenzo, who works for uh, Jimmy Kimmel. So mm-hmm. hopefully he can get back to work very soon. I know he's uh, he's been affected by the strike. Um, and I'm sure he's anxious to go back to work as well. Um, but yeah, all of this is just very interesting. And I, hopefully it doesn't, you know, they said this is going to be a three-year contract. So hopefully in three years, we don't run into the same problem again. <clears throat> we can only hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back in 2019, Martin Scorsese made headlines when he said Marvel movies are not cinema. And our, you know, we've heard this before, and compared the Mar- the MCU to theme parks. Well, now four years later, while promoting his new movie *Killers of the Flower Moon*, Scorsese was asked in an interview on G- from with GQ about the current state of the filmmaking industry, and this is what he had to say: "I think there will always be theatrical, because people want to experience this thing together, but at the same time." The theaters have to step up and make them places where people will want to go and enjoy themselves or want to go and see something that moves them. If Hollywood makes nothing but comic book and franchise movies and certain segments of the and certain segments of the audience don't want to see those films, then nothing is going to get them to a cinema. The danger, <clears throat> excuse me. There is <clears throat> the danger there is is what's is what it's doing to our culture because there are going to be generations now that think that movies are only those. That's what movies are. Audience audiences already think that, which means that we have <clears throat> that we have to then fight back stronger, and it's got to come from grassroots level. It's got to come from filmmakers themselves, hit moviegoers from all sides, and don't give up. Let's see what you got. Go out there and do it. Go reinvent. Don't complain about it because we've got to save cinema. I do think that the manufactured content isn't really cinema. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional and psychological experiences to another human being. It's almost like AI making a film. And doesn't that mean that you have that? And that doesn't mean that you don't have incredible directors and special effects people doing beautiful artwork. But what does it mean? What do these films give you? Aside from, aside from a kind of consumption, um, excuse me, uh, aside from a kind of consummation of something and then eliminating it from your mind, your whole body, you know? So what is it giving you? Um, I think he's made some interesting comments. I think, I think to a certain extent, 
I understand what he's trying to say. Like, you know, we're referring to those movies as more as indies as opposed to like that being the definitive thing and like franchise movies like these being the being construed as like those should be the ones that are like indies and like those should be few far in between and we should be getting more of these human stories that's kind of how i interpret that that we've we've gotten Mm -hmm. to a place that we're losing that and to a certain extent i agree but i think that what needs to happen and this is what i my hope is that there's some kind of merge between the two like we should be getting these deep stories through superhero content or franchise content or stuff that requires special effects because we have the technology to do it. Like if they had the technology to tell those kind of stories back then, I guarantee you there probably would have been more of them, (laughs) but I understand where he means like, you know, he's tired of seeing like so many of these, uh, these popcorn films, you know, instead of being, you know, something that's more of an experience, but I, I, I love both, I guess, but I enjoy both type of films, but I guess maybe there's, he's upset because he doesn't make those kind of films, but you look at a director like Christopher Nolan, and he kind of mentions him in the article as well, um, that they, we should be upholding more of them, but I mean, he could do it, that, that he could take that challenge on as a director, take some kind of content like that, and give it the Scorsese feel, like what a better way to leave your legacy. Also, if you've read, if you read the article, a lot of it is like, I mean, he's in his eighties now. A lot of it is commenting mm-hmm. on like his legacy, kind of like where he's been and where he's going and where he is now, and kind of that he almost like he feels like he like Martin Scorsese feels like an outsider to the Hollywood bubble. It's, or it's, it's basically I don't know if you know that's kind of what I gathered from. Um, when I was reading it earlier, it's, 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 it's really interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, what, Matt, what are your, what are kind of, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I feel like I can, I can, again, to what you're saying, I understand him to a point, but I think it's really funny. I think it's quite hilarious. Actually. He mentions that we should follow Christopher Nolan as the guy who can make movies about make you feel and to get the, the human, you know, the human element. But, I, you know, Corsese is 80 years old. I think he might have forgotten that part of Christopher Nolan's pop created the Batman trilogy, exactly. the Dark Knight trilogy. You know, that comic book movie that you were just shitting on? <laughs> Christopher Nolan did that. I mean, rally behind, let's fight back, just like Christopher Nolan. Like, Christopher Nolan gained his popularity off of comic book movies. Uh, so, he, well, I mean, I mean before before that, he he made Mento, which got him on the map, followed by, by um, like he did Batman Begins, then he flipped over to the Prestige, then he did Dark Knight, then flipped over to Inception, then he did Dark Knight Rises. So I think to a certain audience, a lot of people recognize him as, you know, the uh, the guy who did the Dark mm. Knight. That's that that was the definitive movie. Now you can associate him as like I think for me anyway, he cemented himself as a director that we should look out for and to give credit to the comic book industry, because him the audience that needed to put eyes on, on him. And then after he was done with that trilogy, he has yet to go back to that world. He was like, nah, fam, I'm going to do interstellar. I'm going to do tenant. I'm going to do Dunkirk and I'm going to kill it with Oppenheimer. I, like, I thought I read somewhere that he would want, that he would do a, he would do 
another Batman movie. Oh, I didn't read that. But, I mean, all power to him. But to your point and maybe to, to what you were saying is, like, there can be a blend of both. You can have human stories and also be superhero and, you know, comic book franchises. Where I agree with Corsese in these comments saying that it does feel like that comic book and franchise movies are kind of taking over as far as what should people see in the theaters. There's been a stigma now, and I think streaming has something to do with it, of like what movies we should see in the theaters and what movies we should just watch at home. And that, I feel like, is getting you know away from the smaller budget films. And I think with the exception of Oppenheimer, and I would even go as far as, say, Barbie, even though Barbie is attached to an IP, it was still original story. Yeah. And Oppenheimer was based off of a book, but in a sense, it was still original story. Something that's not 100% tied to an existing franchise, I should say. Uh, like a movie franchise. These are based off of other things that became popular in its own right. So, yeah, not every movie can gain to that popularity, but... I am really curious to see how his movie does, Flower, The Killers of the Flower Moon, because that is gaining a lot of popularity right now. That's great. It, it, it killed it in the in the uh, the film festival that I was in. I forgot which one, either Venice or Cannes or one of them. That it was glowing reviews so much so that Apple decided to pull it from its streaming service. Like, to, well, I should say Apple decided to pull the debut of its streaming service and give it a wide theatrical release. That's how much faith that they have in that movie. So, like, not that, you know, the Irishman, his last picture, did any of that. So, like, I have a lot of faith in Corsese. This, like, this comments is no way refrain me from watching his newest movie because it offers something different to a different audience. And what, what, I just find it interesting that he's saying, like, you got to go, you got to hit moviegoers from all sides. Don't give up. Let's see what we got. Like, p directors are doing that already. Yeah. They're doing that They're now. They're changing the game. They're already... I mean... They're changing the game. The reason why superhero movies exploded is because what John Favreau brought to Iron Man. Like, he made mm -hmm. Iron Man what it is. He gave us some semblance of a psychological story about, about Tony Stark. And we've seen it done time and time again. I mean, Christopher, as we mentioned before, Christopher Nolan did it before when, with, the dark, with the Dark Knight trilogies. But, I see, I, I would put the challenge to him. Like, it's very, like get off my lawn like i can't like i'm not hip with all this <laughs> yes yeah. with all this shit i mean and maybe because like the de-aging stuff didn't go didn't look so well when he tried to use it in the irishman it's almost like like let me see mm -hmm. how i work with it and let's see what let's see how i do like i, I don't know like it's it seems like it makes you seem like you're stuck in your ways like like isn't the you're you are creative you're supposed to like i don't know it seems like you'd want to be up for the challenge that's kind of how I would take it, but I, but I, yeah. but I, but that's not to say I don't under. I understand what he's saying. I get what he's saying, and what, like he wants to go back to the way it used to be. But unfortunately, like that doesn't exist anymore. So, like all that, that's yeah, like, like, it really it's irrelevant. Doesn't. It's it's irrelevant because none of that. Like we don't, we, we just don't have that anymore. So what we would love and to like, see is for you to pull a Christopher Nolan. And for you to do, like, <laughs> pick, there's so many people you could pick. There's not one character that you've ever been mildly interested in. I feel like if you're saying that there's no psychological depth in superhero content or even just IP content, then I don't think, like, you're looking hard enough. Like, sorry, it's not, like, 
you know, it's not laid out in your face. And, you know, maybe just fantasy and stuff like that is just not his bag. And and maybe he's like, why is this such a big thing? That's kind of that's 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 the yeah. vibe I get from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm again, I get it, especially coming from Disney standpoint. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm also tired of like kind of Disney's deal is just live action remakes. That's what they're putting their money into. And then existing franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. Like, I'm going to watch it. That's what Disney's brand is. But if you want something original, look at A24. They're killing it right now with giving us a nice variety of movies that feel like something we've never seen before. But I think also part of the problem is that those movies, except for Everything Everywhere All at Once and, you know, a couple, you know, an article here or there on a certain horror movie that they released, they're not getting the headlines like these massive you know, IP franchises are like granted. Yeah. We don't need another Jurassic world. I get it. We don't need another Marvel movie. I understand that, but I think there's still an audience. They're still putting out movies for all different types of audiences is just the difficulty of which one's going to land. I think Oppenheimer is a, a great outlier to that, that like that one blew up and it's almost made a billion dollars off of that, of that just like original story and marketing has a lot to do with that. And also Christopher Nolan earned the respect to have to warrant you to wa- go watch his movies in yes. the theater. Whereas, you know, we watched a movie, you know, just last week we reviewed They Clone Tyrone. That was a great movie that we saw on Netflix. It was ne- it never hit theaters, but it's not to say that they, that that director didn't do anything different with the sort with, you know, with the genre. I think he did a lot of interesting things with it, but it just didn't gain the popularity that I felt like it yeah. deserved. But that's a lot of movies out there. There's just so <laughs> you know, many. That's, that's There's a just lot too of many. Them. There's too many out there to keep up with. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, yeah. So I'm not saying I would say I would agree with him roughly about 50 percent. But also to your point, I don't think he's looking hard enough and like to see that there are other filmmakers out there. And eventually just I would say even just like Christopher Nolan, once you're given the opportunity to kind of make something your own, people will come and see it. People came to go see Oppenheimer. People went to go see Everything Everywhere all at once. Mm. People came to see Barbie and Greta Gerwig. Like, they didn't go to see Lady Bird. They didn't go to see uh, Little Women. They came to see Barbie. Mm. Like, she was able to cement herself with those films and then from there grow into Barbie to be one of the biggest releases of the year and for Warner Brothers history. And, like, I think it just takes time to get to those movies that people are demanding to go watch in the theater. But I feel like from the ground level that you have to, you have to prove yourself first before you gain the audience to do that. Jordan Peele is another great example of that. Like he was a comedian and all, you know, known for comedy and he just comes out of nowhere and gets, you know, comes out with get out, wins an Oscar for it. And now people respect him for the horror that he's done, not for the comedy that he's done. And now he demanded for people to go watch his movies in the theaters because he proved yeah. it so so yeah there's a lot to unpack there but i i think to to your point ernesto he's not looking hard enough there are directors and filmmakers out there you know to his words fighting the good fight for original yeah. content and i'm and i'm all for you know vying for original content because I, every now and then it's so refreshing to see original content but again for a different audience i'm also the same person who's going to go in there and support it. I, that's just me. And maybe he doesn't realize so. is that we would love to see, I would love to see something from him tied to some kind of property that 
he has even like a mild interest in in doing and seeing what like a Scorsese IP film look, would look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that his comments. I mean, obviously, in the last four years, his comments have not changed about the subject matter. And I feel like as an 80 year old man, it doesn't have to be. I'm, you know, and, I, and that's what it comes down to, you know. Mm-hmm. Like an I look, I'm gonna support his movie when it comes out in theaters yeah. because it's a it's a three it's a three hour movie, but people are raving about it. So he's a fantastic if, director. It, look, so it's guaranteed to is. be good. I mean, it's not. I mean, exactly. Well, well, besides the Irish. Well, I would say that. You know, we know the Irishman is your favorite. (laughs) It's not. It's not at all. But The Departed is one of my favorite movies. So it's incredible. Um, So anyway, Mark and Zazie, you know, just keep doing you, man. (laughs) Just keep doing you. Um, Anyway, moving on to the Golden Globe Awards. (laughs) I I laughed at this. I uh, okay. The Golden Globe Awards will introduce two new categories January 7th broadcast. Uh, yeah, the January 7th broadcast. The categories will be with global reach and either box office or streaming views, as well as acknowledgement or acknowledge the best performance in a stand-up comedy special. So interesting. Those are the two. Th- th- those are very interesting. But here's the first one. The first new prize is the Golden Globe for Cinematic and box office achievement. Eligible nominees will be among the year's highest earning or most seen feature films that also deliver creative excellence. Mm. Titles must have grossed at least $150 million during its release, $100 million of which must have come from domestic box office. Streaming films with commensurate viewer, viewership will be considered based on data from recognized industry sources, the Globe said. Eight films will be eligible for that prize and can also it can also complete sorry, it can also complete categories like best motion picture, drama, or, or comedy as long as they meet the criteria for those films. I'm gonna pause it right there. Okay. I personally think this is this is my personal opinion. That's a stupid award. <laughs> yeah, that is a dumb award to give out because you you are, you are. I don't even know if eight movies can be qualified for that. In the sense of like a hundred million that has been earned domestically. Sure, I'm sure there's a lot of movies, but like you're really honing in on the movies that came out in the summer. Yep. And then we're 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 awarding the highest earning film that also delivered creative intel excellence. Ernesto, when I see that, the highest grossing film is Barbie. Yeah. So the award goes Barbie. to Barbie. Yeah, it's like it, it's it's like it's like the, <laughs> the it's like the production comes to go, hey, Golden Globes. I know we 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 got we both got a problem. We want we want another way to promote our most our movies that make the most money. Our movies that were already the most successful, we need another way to promote them. So hey, we you you give us an award. You give it whoever makes the most based off these specific stipulations. <laughs> that way, that person is up for this award. That's purely based off numbers. That's not really giving an award. And then oh the other one the 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 key line what was that? There was a line that you said that really caught my attention. Where is it? Eligible nominees among the highest earning or most seen that also deliver creative excellence. 
who is deciding <laughs> yeah, that yeah. creative excellence? Because now you're talking about some things that are subjective. Like, so now we're back to, so like, hey, by the ones that made the most money, which ones were better? <laughs> right. Like, that's what it, that's what that says. <laughs> but right. who's and better? That, that's such a stupid award. You should not be awarded for making money. Yeah. What is that? What does that mean? That has nothing to do with anything. Like, sure, best picture, best director, best actors. Those are based off skill. Yes. This is based off of audience reactions. Yeah. The audience went to go see this movie. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a good movie worthy of an award. Like, I feel like this is just an honorary, an honorary award that you give out on the sidelines. It's like, I don't know. It's like, uh, honestly, the people who should be giving award, like in this case, Warner Brothers should give the award to most money earned to within its own studio is to Barbie. That's almost like a pat on the back by the studio. Like, thank you very much. For the Golden Globe to recognize which movie of who made a lot of money of of creative uh, what was it again the the creative excellence it's dumb like the, the 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 numbers tell you that that not no stupid it's see stupid. that's a stupid award and it just seems like hey we need an award sticker that we want to slap on our blockbuster movies that aren't going to make it to the oscars <laughs> like like these movies typically it's, would never ever get any kind of award because they're usually just they're not critically acclaimed they're usually just you know wildly captivated by the audience like everybody just wants to go see right. it and it's but it's like hey we need something to slap on those boxes when we sell these movies <laughs> and you know what's crazy is that this 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 year in particular this award is meaningless because like for the movies that are actually being contenders at this year's award season is the one that made the most money. Yeah. It is Barbie. It is Oppenheimer. It is Spider-Man ac uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Like, they showed us why we all went to the theater. And I will guarantee you they will be recognized at this year's award season. So, again, the, the, a very stupid award yeah. that I do not condone. I think it's their it's their way the it's their way oh no sorry I was just saying it just seems like their way of trying to promote the the movies that made the most money like here these are the movies that made yeah. the most money last year we're let's battle out to see which one's subjectively better based off of right, somebody, exactly. a random person B's <laughs> thoughts on it do you know where they can go find out who made the most you know the box office and that all that the box office yeah. numbers, you know where they can go find it? Two episodes ago in our episode where we recap the summer blockbuster yeah. season. That gives a better overview of how the landscape is on this year's box office summer season than what this award's going to well, give know, out because it is meaningless. You know, how, you know which one won? By the one that made the most money. The, by the ones that keep making money. <laughs> yeah. Like the, those numbers that you're referring to, that's how much money they made. So that means that's how many tickets they sold. So like, we, like what are we doing here? <laughs> Ernesto, I'm, I'm as of September 26th. I'm gonna give you the the two most likely films to win that award, and depends on whoever's behind the voting committee for this. It's gonna be Barbie, or it's gonna be Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be one of those two movies because no other movie compares to whatever stupid criteria that they just built here. But off by soapbox. With that being said, 
The second new category is something I can get behind. Yes. And it's the best performance in stand-up comedy on television, recognizing recognizes outstanding work for a comic in a traditional stand-up format or as a breakout comic in a trope or ensemble. Comedy specials airing on broadcast and broadcast basic and premium cable streaming and pay-per-view cable will be considered. Projects must have a recognized distributor and individual social media accounts will not be eligible. I can get behind yeah, that. Yeah, and that seems like a, I, I'm totally for comedians getting some due on their stand-up specials. I mean, exactly, totally, totally behind that. Especially for a, I mean, the Golden Globes has been getting a lot of shit throughout the years, but nonetheless, it's still a recognized award show that a lot of people look at. Maybe not, I mean, a lot of people anymore, but they're still trying to hold withstanding of being a, an established award show, kind of the precursor to the Oscars, so to speak. It's kind of the award show to start the award shows, and then all the other ones follow, and then you have the Oscars to wrap it up. I, I so. wonder if they if they want to change the format of their entire of their entire show, like change, like what all they, maybe this is the start of them changing like all their categories. Like why does it have to be the same exact shit that, that pretty much the Oscars are like, it's almost like the same. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the same thing. Like, like it's almost to a point, and, like they're so similar that it's almost like the golden globes are a mute point, but see now like this category is like the only thing that would draw me to want to watch the Globes. Literally, the only thing that wa- that I want to know next year is who wins this comedian category. The only, and then the only other thing I'll say is the that's weird about the streaming thing because I think you mentioned about uh, their numbers and all that. But uh, if they're not um, Netflix doesn't release their numbers, so how are they going to know no. views and like as far as like and so. Uh, are their streaming services going to start releasing that information? Maybe to the Golden Globes if they deem to be they want to put that film under contention for the award. Yeah. Maybe. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, it is interesting. Uh, uh, Golden Globe Golden Globes president Helen uh, Horan said the Golden Globes have a hitch, rich history of supporting and celebrating and celebrating the work of comedians. And we're thrilled to honor their brilliance alongside outstanding motion picture and television performances of the year. Additionally, we are proud to recognize the hard work and innovation that goes into making a film that is both a blockbuster and artistically exceptional. Again, I can agree with half of what she said. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's fine. It's uh, still not enough to make me go back and like really want to really care yeah. about the Globes. Like, I still just don't because it, it to me it's just too similar and too close to the Oscars. It's like a pre it's like a pre Oscar yeah. show. Like that's what the Golden Globes is. Yeah, and and I will give it credit for kind of I mean the thing that stands out right is that they have five categories. They they kind of di- differentiate themselves of being. Because Golden Globes honors movies and television. So it's like the Oscars primarily focus on movies. The Emmys primarily focus on on television, which are their respective bigger award shows. And the Golden Globes is kind of like the (laughs) in-between where we're honoring movies, we're honoring televisions, we're singling out dramas in their own category, and we're singling out comedies in their own category. Um, And we're going to do that for all of the categories that we do. So... Yeah, I mean, board show, its 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 existence can be seen as irrelevant because the ones that people look at is the Emmys 
and the Oscars, and the Oscars. not really yeah. the Golden Globes. But sure, we can have another award show to give out awards. I just because there's just so much content. It's like, like, do we even have time to do like just to put them together for like this other one when there's so many things within like TV and so many things within the films that we have to that we keep them separate. Like I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like I, I like, hear do you. the em- I... do the Emmys do the Emmys need the Golden Globes to tell them which ones to start looking at? Like like no. what like what is that like you know what I mean? Like what does that look like? Like what like how do they pick all that? Like what is the purpose? Like why why do we have so many? Because the, the and these are just the big ones that we talk about. Like there's like the directors one, the producers mm-hmm. ones. There's there's so many different like awards that that are like given out and receives for so many like different little things. Like sometimes it's just hard to keep up. Yeah, and you know what? I actually can respect the Directors Guild Awards, the Producers yes. Guild Awards, the, yes. the the SAG Awards, which is for actors, the Writers Guild Awards, which is for writers. Those are specifically awarding those in those fields. So otherwise, Correct. maybe not have given the bigger due in the Emmys or the Oscars, but in their individual guild, they're being recognized. And I can stand That's by understandable. that. That's understandable. That I understand. Yeah. But see, the but, Golden Globes is not that. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It, it's like with the Emmys, like I said, the Emmys is the high quality of television and Oscars is the high quality of movies. You right, You really do have the Golden Globes that's just sitting there just being like, well, we hey, can do come it come watch too. us too. Yeah. We like stuff too. We have opinions. We have we have statues. <laughs> we, we have gold men. Look at it. It's a yeah. globe. You get it? It's a glo- it's not a little man, it's a globe. Um yeah, there's also the Critics Choice Awards, which another one that kind of kind of toys a lot. I think the Critics Choice is trying to overshadow the Golden Globes and is doing a good job at it, by, in my opinion. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think these are very interesting categories to start. I remember a couple of years back when the Oscars were like, we're going to have a fan voted best movie of the year. And I was like, no, we don't want that. We don't want that at all. Um, so I think every year they try to do something new and who knows if this is even going to stick to be honest. With well, you. I, I've got some information on the golden globes. If you want to, if you, if you would like to hear it, sure, let's hear it. All right, so we're using uh, Bard Google's AI version. So I asked it, what's the purpose in history behind the Golden Globes? The Golden Globes are an annual award ceremony presented by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which came under fire, which we heard about, mm-hmm. an organization composed of journalists and photographers who report on the American entertainment industry to non-U.S. publications. The awards recognize excellence in both interna- American international film and TV. The purpose of the Globes is to honor and promote excellence in film and TV. The awards are also intended to help wa- raise awareness to the general public. But, you know, with the internet and social media, we almost yeah. like don't need that anymore. The Golden Globes were originally were originally awarded only for a few categories, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress. Over the years, the categories have expanded to include Best Director, Screenplay, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Best Original Score, among others, plus the two new ones that we just announced. The Globes are considered to be the most prestigious awards ceremonies in the entertainment industry. I don't necessarily agree with that anymore. They are often seen as a precursor to the Academy Awards, which are presented a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. The Globes have also been criticized for their lack of diversity and transparency. The HF. P 
the HFPA have been accused of being a small secretive group that is out of touch with modern entertainment industry in 2022. The HFPA announced that it would be making changes to its membership and voting process to avoid to an effort to avoid its criticisms. Despite their critique, the critics, despite their critics, the Golden Globes remain a popular and infinite influential award ceremony they are a celebration of the best that film and tv have to offer and they continue to be watched by millions of people around the world i agree with like 75 percent of that of the response that that just generated for us um Uh, i don't think i don't think they're as big as they used to be with the i think with the creation of social media They've proved that they kind of don't, they don't, we don't need that extra awareness anymore because of the internet. Right. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. But I do feel like a lot of people, I feel like nowadays use the Golden Globes to be like, what should I be looking out for in preparation for the Oscars? Sure. But I, I, but there are a lot of other articles. To a certain extent. Right. A lot of other articles are doing that already. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyway. all right. You have anything else on that one? Nope, nope. I, nope. I, I do, I do think that the blockbuster award is stupid, and I can agree with honoring stand-up comedians. So, yeah, the com- the the uh, the stand-up comedy award is the only is literally the only one I I would look for to watch. <laughs> Anyways, and shocking news: HBO cancels a highly acclaimed primetime emmy nominated series winning time the rise of the lakers dynasty just hours after the season two finale that's got to be rough yeah (laughs) so the series initially gained stellar reviews early on viewership quickly dwindled jeff perlman the author of the book showtime in which the show is based off of pleaded to fans on social media to watch season two saying i'm telling you the future of winning time hangs in the balance we need viewers the strikes are crippling Please help spread the word. Season two is amazing, but HBO is big on numbers. And to be blunt, I'm worried there won't be a season three. It's not about me. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. It's I'm just, fine. <laughs> it's about a cast of amazing young actors who live this. So seriously, tell your friends to support Winning Time and show HBO you wanted to continue. I think you making that distinction is just basically you're literally putting the writing on the wall saying, hey, this is probably going to be it. And then not even, damn, like not even like a day. It's like literally they aired the finale and all the executives got on the phone and go, hey, you watch it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's pull the plug. <laughs> like, damn. And, and it's kind of sad because, yeah, I was very interested. And I feel like I still am of watching the show because of its high acclaim yeah. and a lot of buzz around season two. And to me, in my head, it's like what what numbers constitute another season like what numbers are you looking for hbo isn't really known for canceling shows let alone ending shows so i find all of that very interesting so you have the author of like hey man this this needs this is probably gonna get a season three we gotta you know support please support the show kind of pleading and kind of using again the strike he he's kind of going to the strike to say, hey, this is probably some of the cause for it. And with HBO hanging the balance to be like, we need either money or we can't support this or we don't know exactly when we can start riding on the on a, another season. We can't bank on that. So we're just going to cut it. And that's kind of sad, given that 
if if there if, if the word is correct that this is actually a really exceptional show that I feel like it's getting cut way too early based off of numbers, which is really sad to see. I've heard I've heard good things, or you know maybe if it these two seasons air and then maybe like we can get a campaign later to bring it back and mm-hmm. you know we can bring these people back and hopefully continue the story from there. I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's I've heard season one is great. Yeah, and I, and I really want to time, watch it. You know? Yes, I kind of did too, but yeah. I was always hesitant. And, that, and I've noticed if I'm usually hesitant to watch something, like nine times out of ten, like that show doesn't continue. Very yeah, rarely, I, very rarely does it not. And I really do want to, I feel like I still want to watch it though, even though I know that season two is the end. And I don't know if it ever, I, I mean, I did read other headlines saying, or not headlines, but other articles referring to like, they kind of knew that this was going to be happening a little bit of an early round. So they put a little like a little sting at the end in case they didn't get a third season. So mm. in a way, they kind of put a button on it, but obviously leaving room for more. Um, so it's just kind of sad to see that, you know, a really great show. I think another great example, and I guess kind of going back on what I just said, was Lovecraft Country by HBO. What a great show Yeah, that all another of a sudden, one. out of nowhere they they canceled it after one season and i was like what how did that happen you know um and they i, I said the... they set up to do so much in that show yeah and you know what and maybe the doors still open well maybe not with jonathan majors with everything that's been going on recently oh, yeah, but true. uh I, another show that i would love to see continue so it's yeah. unfortunate but it you know it happens to sometimes it happens to good ones you know mm-hmm. some people just don't realize Yep. So, uh, also, staying on the topic of sports, and an interesting move for streaming, starting... Oh, well, o- before that. Or you, you skipped a lot. <laughs> Oop, sorry, I went <laughs> way ahead. You went, you went red, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Prime, yeah, I thought I read it. Ah, okay, among other shows, sorry, skipped ahead in our news. Yeah. Among other shows that got canceled last week was The Wonder Years. The reimagined update of the 1988 series of the same name has been canceled at ABC after two seasons due to being ranked its lowest rated and least watched ABC series this summer and Pitch Perfect Bumper in Berlin has been canceled at Peacock after just one season, after originally being renewed for a second season. According to an individual with knowledge of the situation, the decision has been made to cancel the series as the ongoing strikes in Hollywood meant that production was not able to begin as originally scheduled. Lastly, Stars has canceled Blind Spotting after two seasons, Hells after two seasons, and Run the World after two seasons. The, I, I think it's kind of crazy because, they, you know, the especially for Pitch Perfect Bumper in Berlin, I did watch the it was six 30 minute episodes. It wasn't the greatest television show ever. I mean, I'm not, it was, <laughs> well, it that's was probably why it wasn't amazing, but I do find that this isn't the first time that shows have received a second season order, and due to other reasons, they decide like, nah, we're not gonna commit to that anymore, and they have all the right to do that, unfortunately. like like kind of giving false hope to these people and also showing that just because we renew it doesn't mean we're not, we can't cancel it immediately. Um, mm. So that kind of sucks uh, that like you're kind of given a promise of a second season, you start writing on it and then all of a sudden you get cut. Now, I, what I also find interesting is that it looks like Peacock was not willing to wait on the show to, you know, go over the strike 
you know, so I found that really interesting. It's like the only reason why they cut it was because it wasn't able to begin production as originally scheduled. So it must have been barely financially viable. And it's like, well, what is basically, what is the strike? Like the strike is going to start affecting stuff. Mm -hmm. So what has to be cut so we can still run our bigger projects? Right. Seems like we found the first set of the the ones that are hitting the chopping block that are are some of the fallout from the strike going on. Absolutely, and, and, it, and it's and it's an unfortunate, and especially the Wonder Years. My kids like um, they watched the one the new Wonder Years. They said it was great. They thought it was fantastic. Oh really? Um, I hadn't watched it yet, but I guess now I'm not going to <laughs> because it's gone because it's not coming back. Um, and again, based on a lot of news that we're going to be discussing here. Again, the strikes are not just writers and actors on strike and not getting fair wages. It's uh, on top of that, it's being affected by a multitude of the entire industry. Shows canceling too early, and it, the list goes on and on. Going so much so is that due to the ongoing writers' strike, ABC will now be airing more Monday night football games than originally planned. An additional 10 games originally set to appear only on ESPN will be simulcast on ABC. The strikes, which has been ongoing for months, have delayed most of its upcoming fall television seasons. When the NFL schedule was announced in May, ABC had four exclusive regular season games and five being part of an ESPN simulcast. The move also means that ABC has a game Sorry, uh, the move also means that ABC has a game all 18 weeks of the regular season along with simulcasts of two playoff games. So <laughs> sounds like great. It sounds like good news for ABC though. That that, that that's probably going to work for, when they're going to do the comparison. Mm-hmm. It could be better than what these TV shows would have been giving them. Well, it, that that's you made a really good point. I was about to dive into that. If they're doing better numbers of just airing NFL games rather than putting out money to say a, a do a new brand new show does that mean that there's less money allocated to broadcast television on you know TV series and we're just going to mm-hmm. air sports on Monday night yes. football I mean you're right that's kind of what, what it, it sounds like to me it sounds like to me yeah they're like wait a minute we can make a whole bunch of money because people want to watch football who knew yeah, uh, it's like oh, people. If we air these games, if we aired all these games and made it readily available for a lot easier for people, people will watch them. Yeah. Now, what that will now now another trickle down effect of that is that people who wouldn't be able to see them at home regularly or they didn't have that channel. You know, usually those people fill up the bars. So then, right. like, it's the trickle down effect. It's like maybe don't people don't go out as much now. People have more reason to stay home and watch the game. And now, granted, I don't know. We'll see. ESPN, if you have basic cable, you have ESPN, you have ABC. So, like, not to say it wasn't readily available if you didn't have basic cable, but now that you're just having more eyes on it because you're not allocating, you know, the seasons that should have been airing on Monday night are not. And so now you're just filling the slot with football. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's just really interesting. I think this will have a major effect after the strikes are over. I think come next season, eight. Disney and ABC looking into the football games, the slots, rather than putting money toward a new show, so to speak. Yeah, it's going to be like, who's, um, who's going to give us the most money and the less, the least problems? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sports. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but staying on the topic of sports, an interesting move for streaming. Starting October 5th, uh, Max is offering an B, a BNR sports add-on 
for an additional $9.99 per month that gives you access to live sports. Watch over 300 live games and matches from the NBA, NHL, NCAA March Madness, MLB, and U.S. Soccer. Plus fan favorite shows and events like Inside the NBA, The Match, and more. This is a, a trend that we are seeing nowadays because I, and I've also stated before that the only two reasons for you to have, actually one of the bigger reasons that, well, no, two reasons for you to have cable network nowadays is for live broadcasting of sports and news. Those are two things you most likely cannot find on a streaming service. Now more and more streaming services are adding bundles for you to obtain live uh, live sports and live programming. Like right now, if you have Paramount Plus, which is associated with CBS, you can watch your local 1 p.m. and 4.20 p.m. sports games. Uh, or Sorry, football games. If you have uh, Amazon Prime, made an exclusive deal to have Thursday night football. If you have, obviously, ESPN Plus, you can watch Monday night. And if you have Peacock, you can watch Sunday night football. So football is 100% integrated into the, at this point. But now... You have other sports that are now trying to get into it. I think if you have uh, Apple TV Plus, you can either get an add-on or even some games will be provided for you for certain soccer and baseball games. NBA has not been as much lately, but now it looks like they made a deal with Max or uh, an association with Max to have then now more live sporting events on these streaming services. Eventually, kind of ruling out that you not necessarily need basic cable to obtain live programming such as sports but it's probably to come at you at a cost so mm. uh again the sports are inducting into the streaming world um so interesting things to see here so if you want all of that an extra 10 bucks you can get access to 300 live games well i mean we're just slowly seeing the stream how streaming is just taking over all all aspects and just mm -hmm. like, hey, we'll take your TV shows, we'll take your movies. Oh, we'll take yeah. your sports, we'll take your sports games. Just yeah, another reason, just more adding more value to the streaming services and yep. thus giving them more reason down the line to kind of slowly keep increasing the price or mm -hmm. having these as additional add-ons, which is good right. as an option. You know, not forcing everybody to have it. Yeah, um, I prefer add-ons. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, lastly, about a month ago. We talked about Donald Glover, who created Atlanta, and his brother Stephen Glover has signed on to write Lucasfilm's Lando Calrissian's limited series for Disney+. Plus. Well, now apparently, Star Wars Lando is being developed as a movie. In a recent interview, the Glover brothers revealed the news by saying, it's not even a show. The idea right now is to do a movie. Right now, because of the strike, it's kind of like telephone information. IGN has also confirmed, confirmed with a source close to the production that is indeed being developed as a feature film. IGN sources add, however, that <clears throat> that has been the case for some time, as Disney is not currently negotiating with the Glovers per the terms of the, the ongoing WGA and SAG after strikes. Um, I could see it, because then, you know, what if it was a series and they realized, like, hey, we don't have enough content to, <laughs> to drag over six episodes, it would be better for us if we just did this as like an like an adventure film, like a Lando Calrissian mm -hmm. adventure film. Like that's 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 what that's what it, that's just what it needs to be. Does it need to be anything more than that? Like, like I don't know. That's just what they just need to do. That. <laughs> um. So, the brief pause. You did cut out for a second. So. 
Like I did, so I didn't miss. I missed the last part of what you said. Oh, I was just saying that it that it makes sense that that's what they that that's what it should have been from the very from the very beginning. That it should you just say, be. That it should just be. Um, that it should just be a movie. It shouldn't be a series because of like how much they there might not be enough there to warrant a TV show. Right, and kinda, I think which is kind of my assumption. Right, yeah. It also sounds like the same thing happened. If you remember, a couple of months ago, we had talked about Armor Wars, starring Don Cheadle, was supposed to be a Disney Plus original series as well, and now that's being produced as a feature film instead. Yeah, and so I see that obviously this is on not this is not uncommon, but I like to hear that the creatives. Um, behind these projects are realizing what this needs to be before we get a situation, say like secret invasion where like that, it just didn't hit as a series and it didn't resonate with people and end up turning out like a not so great product because you're trying to fit within the confines of a television show. When in actuality, you just need a two hour movie with a bigger budget. And that was the better form of telling that story. Yeah. And I actually don't, speaking of Secret Invasion, I don't remember if I talked about it last week, but this week I, I had I finished Secret Invasion. I don't remember. I have, it's okay. Been, it's been a while since we talked, so I, I can't, there's a lot of yeah. stuff that I've watched and haven't watched. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, actually, we can just kind of, do you have anything else on that? Because I'm... Nope. No, I think that as as... As long as they know earlier on that's the best move, I'm all for for a Lando movie rather than a series. Honestly, whatever turns out to be the better product, I'm all for it. That's I essentially trust, what it is. I also trust Donald Glover. So, I mean, there's That's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a big one. That's yeah. a very much a big one. <laughs> so, I guess I guess with that, we will segue right on over to what you're watching. And I will start as I kind of already started mentioning, I finished Secret Invasion and I I liked it. There were there were some things that I liked and some things that I kind of thought were weird. I didn't really care for. I thought the um, the love the Nick Fury love story was kind of strange. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I honestly I thought that was the better aspect of the show. So I'm quite surprised you said that was not the one that uh that that kind of hit you. Well, because it just seemed like out of left field. Like it just felt it felt a little forced. Mm. Mm. You know? Like it just but then it also seemed like just the way they set it up in the end, like they're gonna be using her what I think is gonna happen is like maybe this is a loose setup for the Kree scroll war and then she's sure. gonna she's gonna go up and be like a diplomat and then they're gonna kill her and that's what's gonna start the war. But it's oh, secret okay. invasion. That's my that's my loose. There's I there's no basis in that theory at all. Yeah, it just on my assumption. Otherwise, what is the reason why you're bro- propping her up? So we spent a lot of secret invasion learning about her, understanding why yeah. she's important in Nick Fury. Like not even spending time with. We didn't even really get like a lot of the time that we used on her could have been used for Nick Fury. Like the whole. The whole scene, we'll get into mild spoilers. So the the whole scene where like she's like protecting Amelia Clark's um, character, um, like that whole shootout, like it felt like it should have been her and Nick Fury like going on the adventure together. You know what I mean? Mm. It felt like, but then we got like this weird side adventure with her. Like they spent a lot of time <clears throat> propping her up. 
We well, we spent a lot of time unnecessarily following other people other than Nick Fury in that show. Uh, yeah, so like, it, it just was kind of all over the place. But there were certain things that I like. I did, I didn't mind the Super Scroll, like the kind of the way they did the Super Scroll. It was yeah, that was fine. It was fine. Like, like okay, you gave us like so Amelia Clark. She is the the Super Scroll, and like the Super Scroll can like get any power pretty much like in, in not even like your whole body it's just like your limb you can just <laughs> like all right you're gonna be Groot here and the hulk here like <laughs> i thought that was a, I, I did think that was a little strange would have been made more sense if like you could just morph your whole body at a time or unless it's both things like you can just you can kind of just go back and forth between them yeah and that's also kind of a way for marvel to secure amelia clark for future projects that you are the definitive super scroll. So she's the superhero. She's like the good super scroll. She's like the super, right. super she's on our side. She's which, which, okay. I mean, honestly, I have not been happy of what Marvel has been doing with the scroll storyline at all. I didn't like it in the Marvels. Oh, sorry. I didn't like it in captain Marvel. I'm not a fan with it with secret invasion. I really hope they can turn it around, but so far these two outings have not been it. I don't know if the Marvels that comes out in November is going to even touch on that, but you know, I my, guess we'll see. My only prop, my only problem with that is that it just like Secret Invasion in the comic books is just such a much bigger and more prominent event that has like long-lasting effects, like much bigger ramifications in the in the universe itself. And also, like mm -hmm. the whole reveal with Don Cheadle as a scroll was cheesy oh. as fuck. Like it, like it I can your. I'm gonna sit here and drink this bottle, and I, they, we, I canned your ass, Nick Fury. Didn't I just fire you? It's like okay, like why are you being, like it was just, it was way too. It just to me, like it was just way too over the top, and like I felt like I, not. And then he's not even really dead. I I don't know. It was just it was a it was a strange it was a strange thing. And then they killed the Lalos, the uh, uh, Talos. Talos. Then they just killed him, yeah. and I, I, it felt very anticlimactic when he died. I mean, not again. I guess full spoilers here. I mean, because I haven't really discussed this part with you. With two factors, one, they just killed Maria Hill in the beginning of the show. Yeah, and then just like, like you know, somebody that was that was the other right. one. That was the other one. They just killed her off. Like, okay, let's just keep moving on. This major right. person who's been in the MCU for well, how don't know, ten, fifteen years. Like, how many? Like, when was her first appearance? Uh, Iron Man two, I believe. No, no, sorry, no. That was uh, she was in um, uh, Avengers. Was her first movie? Yeah, that's a long time. Like, and yeah. you just killed her off, and we kind of get like this week, this like week goodbye, where like Nick Fury takes full responsibility for her death. It's like, but it 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 led to nothing. It, like, it you would think that that would be like the motivation he needed to do whatever, and it didn't. It wasn't. No, it was the but that's and, the other. It it's almost like the love story like literally made maria hill's death take a back seat because that like right. without her that would have been his drive for vengeance. see doesn't it seem like yes. like the maria everything else was its complete storyline they go hey oh we forgot to add in nick fury's wife let's let me grab this lego piece <laughs> and let me just stick it on there all right here you go it's like all this shit that makes sense let's just spread it we're just gonna spread the love a little bit let's give you some of the storyline like literally i felt like the stuff that she was doing with amelia clark was supposed to be done with nick fury and like she was like a complete add-on to the storyline to maybe something they're gonna do in the future like 
like she she better have some significant importance i mean it ended secret invasion ended like a love story like you get the silhouette of them going into the spaceship and her putting her head on him it's like yeah what (laughs) (laughs) also one of my biggest the what what really annoyed me about this show and i was like and i'm and i'm all for you know i'm i'm the marvel guy i'm really to support you for the most part but lately they've been making some questionable decisions and now i'm getting as a fan a little annoyed and quite frankly i was really mad at what they did with john on john Cheadle being a scroll and and, and more importantly when they captured him to becoming a scroll there were rumors at, at, shortly after the season finale, there were rumors that saying that Don Cheadle was a scroll since after the events of Captain America Civil War, meaning that his character was not there at all for Thanos. Infinity War, Endgame, doesn't know that Tony's dead. All those arcs, like he never had that 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 conversation with uh, with um, Sam in Captain uh, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier about, you know, being black in this country. Like, all of that was apparently not him. And so... What about I, him, I saw Civil that... War? So when he got his legs all fucked up, when he became paralyzed? Right. Like... So that so that moment. So he got hit, and then he was in the hospital, and apparently he got switched mm. from when he was in the hospital. So I read that rumor, and I was like, no way. They're not going to go that far back. It has to be after Endgame. And so, and like, I'm fine with after Endgame because he was there for the battle and all that stuff. And so now, about a, about a couple days later, after the season finale, the creator confirmed that that theory, that rumor, that he did in fact get taken after the, you know, he got paralyzed in Civil War. And at, it was that moment where I'm like, go fuck yourself. That really was, I was like, that was a horrible call. No way. Do do you do that to that character that's been here for that long and tell me that one of the defining moments of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and that wasn't really him? You can go fuck right off with that. No. <laughs> you can fuck right off. <laughs> I, was, I was so mad at that. And, and I know that Armor Wars is coming out now as a movie like we just discussed. And that's the next time we're going to see John Don, Don Cheadle most likely. But it's going to be him because they not... killed the scroll. Correct. So I'm assuming anyway that this is going to be the effects of him kind of coming to and kind of realizing what he missed. And if there's not a goddamn good enough story to justify him not being there for the back half of the MCU in phase three, then you have just really, really gone downhill with with the storytelling. I, I, I need to see a good enough reason why you did that. And if you're not even going to acknowledge it, then what are we doing here? Agreed. What are we doing here? Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah. I mean, Secret Invasion was okay. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Except except for that one part. (laughs) It just, they just did some weird shit that just made it seem like you're doing, it feels like you're, you're, you're giving us a setup that's going to be something for a long, long time from now. You, you know what? You make a really good point that it does sometimes feel like these shows are a series of setups. And it's like like Falcon Winter Soldier was just a setup for Captain America 4. Yeah. WandaVision was a setup for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So, like, are any of these shows, it is what it is? I feel like Moon Knight, She-Hulk, 
were the only two so far, and Hawkeye, because Hawk, well, Hawkeye could be a setup for Kate Bishop, yeah. but so so far, Moon Knight and Miss and and She Hulk doesn't really show that they're going to be returning anytime soon, and Miss Marvel was a setup for the Marvels. Exactly, so. like literally the end mm-hmm. of it is going to be the beginning of the next, of the beginning of the movie. So, exactly, so what movie is this going to be a setup for? I guess it's going to be the better question. Well, it's the Marvels. They've already said like this. This movie is a culmination of a lot of shows coming together mm. and secret invasion is one of them. The Marvels is a culmination of all these shows. So they're saying that because of Monica Rambeau, we're, you know, getting ties from WandaVision, Miss Marvel's getting ties from, uh, uh, Miss Marvel's. Yeah. For, for Kamala Khan, you coming from Miss Marvel, Monica, Rambeau, WandaVision, you have obviously the sequel from the Marvels, a sequel from Endgame, and Nick Fury, is going to be in it which takes place after though a lot okay i i guess we'll find out when <laughs> when we talk about it all right yeah. moving on i watched all of lioness the show is oh, nice. oh my god it was great another taylor sheridan show same creator as yellowstone um just kind of a great exploration of like a woman badass like covert operation team but they you know, you get. I really liked what they're doing with Zoe Zaldana's character because you get this, um, you get the complexity of like her still trying to be a mom and like wanting to be there for her kids, but also she has this extremely important job within the government. That's like, hmm. a, she's like a top assassin, like you know, she's like a top person, like field agent for the government. So it's kind of her battling those those two things, and she's take she has this who the main lead is i can't remember her name she uh she kind of takes her under her wing for this mission and it's like the finale is fucking wild like the last 10 minutes really was just it's great it's great tv great and the whole the whole season's already done it's i i would highly recommend it it's it's well well worth the watch and so i think it's easy to say that you're a, a tyler sheridan fan <laughs> I mean, yeah, man, he makes he just makes good TV and it's all consistent just because he writes all his own content. Like, I think that. Wow. I think that's really what my draw to him is, is that you can just see the consistency in his writing. And it's just it's really mm-hmm. good writing. It's re- it's good. It is great TV. That's just what it is. And the action in that show is is on point. Uh, so I think I, it also just goes to. I think it also just goes for him as a producer, as a creator, that like you can develop a show with massive, massive success like Yellowstone and then also turn out something like Lioness, which seems completely different from Yellowstone and still turn out a good product. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got so many other shows in the bank that are on our back burner to watch. And this was just and I, I didn't even put my wife on this one because I wanted to watch it without <laughs> having to wait forever, <laughs> which brings me to my next watch. Um, we finished the final season of Barry, and wow, incredible TV. Bill Hader, like each episode, I was like, oh, this episode is directed by Bill Hader. Oh, this he directed the whole season. He directed every episode of this season. Did he, he was, really? He did, and it was fucking incredible. It was just great, incredible TV. The writing, I can't, I so hope that it's nominated this upcoming season i believe it already is if we've already talked about Mm -hmm. it you really see like you really see they really round out these characters until this really this really like 
dark story about like legacy and finding yourself. And that's kind of like what the show is about. It's like, what's your legacy? Who are you? Like, how do you find yourself? Are you defined by the things that happen to you? Like, what happens if you do these things to, to explore yourself? Like, or, or are you the person you've always meant to be? Like, through all these different characters, they're able to explore these things. And it's it's fantastic. You absolutely, you like, Matt, it's done. The series is done. You I know. need <laughs> to watch. This is one you definitely, definitely need to watch. Highly, highly recommend. Like, I would I would go back and rewatch the show 100% all the way through. Wow. That, like, there's just so many great moments throughout the series itself. And the last season just does a really fantastic job of wrapping it together and telling these kind of, these, these really great character stories. Now, let me ask you this. I know it might be hard to compare, but... I know at the time, anyway, that both Succession and Barry, both on HBO, were ending on its fourth season. Which one would you say kind of went out better between those two shows? I don't know. That's a really hard question because they both (laughs) had really good endings. Obviously, Succession is a more successful show as far Mm -hmm. as, like, numbers and views. But, like, you almost can't compare because... Of well, I mean, they're both technically actually no, they're both within the same realm. They're both dark comedies, mm-hmm. where maybe Succession leans a little bit heavier in the drama side, but there's still a lot of elements of some dark comedy in there. Whereas Barry is more of a comedy, but there are a lot of dark eminent elements, but it's still more in the comedic uh, side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think they're both just as good. They both are both, they're kind of like, in a lot of ways, are on the same level, like maybe story-wise. I think Succession, obviously, the writing on it is is, right. is is much better. It's a little bit of a slower burn, whereas Barry is more of a comedic, is, is more comedic. So it's a, a little bit of an easier watch than it is Succession. Plus, each episode of Barry is only 30 minutes, whereas Succession is a full hour. Right. I feel like if between the two shows, and I think I've already said this, I'm more probably likely to watch Barry because I feel like I can get through it fairly quickly, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. given that there's four seasons, but they're 30 minutes each. So, well, I expect, so, yeah. well, I expect to hear something very soon. Okay. Because I, I, I'm tired very of waiting. Soon. I, I'm tired I, of waiting I, for you to decide when you're going to watch it. I just need you to watch it. Okay. Okay, fine. I, I, I will, here, I, I'll put this guarantee out there. It's a guarantee. This is a Matt guarantee uh, that I will start it within the next month. Okay. Maybe not by next episode, but within the next month, I can guarantee you I will start the show. Okay, because I would love to hear you. I would. I really like after I watched this finale, like I was just, I was floored at like how it ended and like how they wrap things up and like it, it kind of makes you think at the end. It really right. gets your brain turning. Like it really makes you think at the end. So just writing, directing, like it's just a, it's just a fantastic piece of content, start to finish. Couldn't recommend it anymore. It's just, it's a fantastic series. Bill, peak, Bill, if you like Bill Hader, especially, I still see so many memes of Bill Hader all over online. Yeah. Like, like he's just, he's always been my favorite from SNL to like everything <laughs> he's been in. I think he's great. So highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, I also started Platonic on Apple TV. Oh, nice. I think you nice. told me you, fin- yeah. you finished it, right? Yeah, I did. So I'm about, I'm about six episodes in. Yeah. And it's hilarious. It's so I good. Think- so good. I think Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen's chemistry, I think the way they work, even separately. Like, Rose Byrne is, she's pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. 
like I don't know. This has like been probably the bet one of her best performances I've seen her in. Yeah, I can. But agree it's that. It, it's really funny, and I think they they pair well together so well. Like as friends, like you, like you, you can tell that they've been friends for a really long time. Like you can get the vibe. They have great chemistry on on camera together. Mm-hmm. So it's been that's been a really enjoyable watch. I think I don't know how many episodes there are. I think there's only um, eight, so you're almost done. Yeah, I think I think I'm almost done. But yeah. it's, I mean, it's really fun. A lot of great, a lot of great moments in the show, and and that's another one. Like it really kind of gets you thinking about like you know your place in life and your friends and. And what does each stage of life look like? What is supposed to look like? So I'm really I'm enjoying the themes that this show that the show ex, um, is exploring. Is, uh, is exploring. Thank you. Uh, um, ten, and then, ten episodes, by the way, not uh, okay. not eight. And not also, eight. okay. As as a reminder, the the creator of Platonic is also the same creator as Friends from College. So, yep, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably why I like it. Hopefully, <laughs> this one doesn't get canceled. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I've also got three. I've also got some movies on my list. Okay, okay. Um, so we took kind of our, our weekend. You know, Matt, we saw each other at Halloween Horror Nights the other night. We did. And then uh, we kind of gave the kids a day off yesterday. So we took them to the movies. And I took them to go see Gran Turismo. Okay. And it was, for me, for me, it was fantastic even the second time around. Like, still still enjoy, still such an enjoyable film. Like, you know, the, everybody else, they loved it. They loved, you know, kind of our very similar thoughts to what we had. And, you know, we did our review on it. So you guys can go back and listen to our thoughts on it. But um, it was nice to see that my uh, that I was correct. You know, I always pick, <laughs> they always trust they, they always trust me to pick the good movies. So every time I get a W, I'm like, yes, got another one. But also, like, um, I'm sure I, they play a lot of video games, too. So like that is like this guy played video games. And now he's a race car driver. Like that's just a cool concept yeah. for kids to get behind as well. Yeah. Also for my wife, like she saw when she saw it, she's like, she didn't really recognize kind of the similar to us, like how accurate, like how just how good Gran Turismo is, that, mm. that it's literally not a racing game, that it's it's more of a simulator than it is an actual game itself. Right, right. Um. So we also saw the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies because oh. now that it's airing on Paramount Plus. Um, fantastic movie. Yeah. Like it's just just as good. Like Ice Cube's performance hits just as hard. Another movie that we that we reviewed this previous week. Uh, I'm sorry, this uh, last month. Really, really well done. And then, as far as you know, my son's birthday this past weekend. He's been wanting to get into horror, and he told me he's like, "Well, the first horror movie I want to watch, I want to watch your favorite horror movie." So I forgot. That scream was rated R. I really thought. I don't know why I had it in my head that it was rated PG-13. <laughs> okay? So that's a fail on me. So we were watching. I only had to cover his eyes for like the, the one sex scene that Nev Campbell has. Everything yeah. else was just like okay. just like language. It was just like language and like, you know, just gory stuff. And to each his own. You let your kids watch whatever you want. I went to Horror Nights and I saw seven year olds there. So, like, I can't. I'm not, what I, me letting him watch Scream is probably not the worst thing. <laughs> so true. Very true. Uh, but he really enjoyed it. He, he kind of got the same, he loved for it. But, you know, it's a 90s. So, yeah. it can be looked at as cheesy. But people watch worse shit. I love it. I, I, I love, I still love the Scream franchise. Like, we were watching them, like, Oh man, that was great. Yeah, let's pop the let's pop that second one on. Yeah, <laughs> let's it start still, the second one. I, I think the screen really franchise does. still holds up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even the newer ones. Even yeah, the newer ones. Probably. Maybe there's some there's some camp that that's involved with a lot of them, but I think they're I think 
as far as horror, it's great because especially the way that the scream just I kind of and I really captured this this last time we watched it. Like even down to the first one, like the all these movies do is like show the exploitation of like real life horrors and how it gets transformed into these movies and right. how it gets transformed into pop culture into these movie things like literally that like i guess i you know really missed it but that's kind of the whole theme of it from the jump and we still and i like watching the first one and just previously watching the which is the one we just reviewed the sixth one that came out earlier yeah, was it was it? six it was yeah, six yeah, six like it i actually came out in january yeah yeah like i still feel that those themes are valid even now through the sixth one so it just mm-hmm. makes me makes me feel good for the franchise moving forward so we watched we fully yeah. watched the first one we watched half of the second one and then when he went to his mom's house he said he finished the second one and now he's on to the third one he's like oh i've just been damn he's, he's like they're so, yeah, he's, he's like they're so good i was like yeah that that last one though then just number six that one is intense <laughs> yeah I'm just, i mean we remember we reviewed it i mean i really i like the new direction that they've gone for five and six we, we just you know a couple of weeks ago we talked about how the, the same directors are not returning for number seven and it's going to be christopher landon who did uh freaky and happy death day so hopefully hopefully he can keep the same trend going like the other directors did so yeah. um but then other than that that's uh that's all i got okay um so i've watched a few things myself um, I am, as of this recording, I am fully caught up with uh, Ahsoka, which is, as of right now, it has aired uh, six episodes. There's two more to go. Um, pretty much after we're done recording this episode, I'm going to patiently wait until 9 p.m. So watch episode seven because I'm tired of spoilers. <laughs> so, Have uh, you been getting stuff spoiled for you uh, pretty bad? Yeah, I would say up so like episode six, I watched as soon as it dropped because I was off on I was off Tuesday night. So I'm like, I'm going to watch it right now so I don't get hit in with anything. But the, within the first five episodes, I was getting little things here and there. And then by episode five, which is a big episode, and I felt like it was going to be a big episode. So I tried to catch up beforehand. I just didn't get to it. A few things got spoiled for me there as well. So I was like, I'm done. I'm over it. I just I just want to, <laughs> you know, I, I just want to watch it now. So uh, this Tuesday is going to be, yeah, so tonight it's, I'm going to be able to watch it, and then by next week I should be able to do the same. Like, as soon as it airs, I'm not going to – I should be good to go. So I'm all I'm all ready for this show. Um, I will say this. The first four episodes, not groundbreaking. Mm. I, I wish I wish it was a little bit better. Um, there were – it's just a little – it's just slow. It just feels like that we – it's just been a slow burn that goes nowhere. And I feel like that – and I, I, I was listening to something else. I was listening to somebody else review like Ahsoka so far. And I think they did a really good job of saying the first four episodes could have been one and a half. And I think I agree with that because like we're getting 30 minute, 45. Well, I should say 45 minute episodes of going like inches forward. Mm. And then episode five, we took a leap. And I was like, oh, we could have been making leaps this whole time. So like as as a fan... I'm a little bit disappointed of the pacing of the show. Not to say that the story's bad. It's just the pacing is just like really dragging. And I feel like that what we're seeing is not necessarily, you know, just engaging enough for me to like really get invested into the story. That being said, episode five really kind of kicked it into high gear. And I was like, here we go. This is what <laughs> I'm talking about. 
this is the Star Wars, obviously directed by Dave Filoni. And I was like, all right. So he knew. Yeah. So why, why, why are we messing with this, man? Just just give us the good stuff. Why, why are we holding out on this? So question for um, you. Does it do you do you absolutely need to watch Rebels to understand? Like, does it feel like it's its own show or does it feel like season five of Rebels? It 50 50. Mm-hmm. Like, because Ahsoka isn't 100 percent involved with Rebels. She is mainly in season two of Rebels. Mm. And then after that, it's like an echo of her character, not really her character in the series. So um, if you are looking, if you're watching Rebels to get, you know, to get involved with Ahsoka, I I don't think that's necessary viewing per se, Mm. but it does act as a season five to Rebels because it does pick up on storylines that happen is that ice cream truck back again? Do you hear that? I just heard it. Yes. Yes. God. It's that time. It's every day. time we're recording. It's that time of day. It's that dinner time. Come on, kids. It's di- dinner time. Who still goes up to us? Anyway. I, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Anyway. Um, the I, It's going to distract me now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, anyway. Anyway. Uh, I feel like Ahsoka is... Can can live on its own if you just get like a rewatch. I feel like the Clone Wars is more important. I feel like it's getting louder. I feel like Ahsoka is get is the Clone Wars is more important for Ahsoka than in Rebels is. Ooh. But it's picking up a lot of storylines. So it's it's again it's difficult. Uh, the Clone Wars certain episodes of the Clone Wars focus on Ahsoka and those backstories help you understand the character of Ahsoka. I mm. don't believe that. I don't. I don't believe that Rebels helps you understand the character of Ahsoka as much as Clone Wars does. That being said, things that are taking place in the Ahsoka series is definitely predicated off of what happened in season ones through four of Rebels. So, realistically, the character that's being highlighted the most in Ahsoka is Sabine Wren, which is you know that's worth watching Rebels for to understand her backstory, whereas other characters like Hera, who's made a small appearances here and there, um, throughout the story, you would kind of want to watch Rebels for her as well. Ezra Bridger, the whole point of this of Ahsoka is the search of where Ezra Bridger is, and therefore watching, watching Star Wars Rebels to understand who Ezra Bridger is and why he's important does definitely help with Ahsoka, but not necessary because he's not, you know, he's barely in it. And right now we're searching for him. So there's, there's kind of a lot that's going into it. I do feel like that you can just watch a recap video um, or just kind of a synopsis of each season. And if you, if you don't have time to watch all of it, if you do, I say, watch it. It's a great series on its own, but if you're watching it for Ahsoka, then you're watching it for the wrong reasons. Mm. Because we're watching Rebels for that, for that reason, but uh, but I'm also just really enjoying Rebels because I've heard a lot of good things. So I think right. I think regardless, we're gonna stick through it. But the main draw was try to watch it for Ahsoka. But the thing is, is like like, and this is kind of be my problem. And this is where I think Martin Scorsese, where he has a point. I don't mm-hmm. even know if he was making this point or if this is what he was trying to say. But this is my problem with with certain IPs. Like I shouldn't have to watch of a bunch of other shit to enjoy this like you this should be able ahsoka should not be season five of rebels 
if you want season five of Rebels, then you should make season five of Rebels and just make it live action. Like that should just be its own right. thing. If I watch Ahsoka, I should be able to watch it and go, oh, they're talking about these things. I can go watch these things later without having to, like I should be able to enjoy it on its own, not feel the necessity to have watched all these things. You know what I mean? Yes. And I do feel like that. I, I do agree with you in a way because there, there's a lot that goes in. There's a lot of baggage that goes into Ahsoka. And I do feel like that Ahsoka proper, the series doesn't really do any job to try to catch the audience up of who this character is and what we're doing. It kind of just jumps right into it. So as star Wars fans and you've done your homework, so to speak, and you watched all the things you're jumping in as normal, but to the casual viewer who's interested in the character, just as a standalone, you you're gonna you're gonna have a couple hurdles getting into it. Mm. That's why some of the videos you may find on YouTube could help with that. But if you want to commit, not all, not everyone has the commitment to watch seven seasons worth of Clone Wars and four seasons worth of Rebels. That being said, though, I do agree with you that if they want to make a season five of Rebels. They just should have done that because they did that with the Clone Wars. Yeah. Once Disney Plus was a thing, they made they 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 made the Clone Wars season seven to wrap up the Clone Wars series. So they could have easily done Star Wars Rebels season five on Disney Plus and kind of go forward that way. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. But I I will say that these past two episodes I've been I've I've really been digging episode six spoiler you know going into it with zero knowledge of what was going to happen was actually really refreshing, which was really nice. That helped me get into the episode even more because they, they, we finally got to see Thrawn who is our main villain and man, Mads Mikkelsen kills it when, when he comes on screen, his voice, because he's the actual voice actor for Thrawn in the animated series. And he's reprising his role in live action form. And man, what, what a performance so far! He has been killing it. But, so, but isn't I think but so far isn't Mads Mikkelsen character? Isn't he I'm in sorry, Rogue One? Not, yes, I'm not not Mads Mikkelsen. I apologize. It's his brother Lars Mikkelsen. I was like, wait, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's I made a mistake. Yes, his yes the his Mads Mikkelsen's character is in Rogue One. His brother Lars Mikkelsen, I believe his first name is Lars, um, is the voice of Thrawn and now as a live action form as well. Um, so, but he kills it. He, he does an amazing job. I think he is so far the only character that I was like, for like from transition from live act from animated to live action, where I was like, holy shit, that's Thrawn. Whereas there have been moments for like, even with Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, where it's like, eh, we're getting there as Ahsoka. That's not the Ahsoka I know, but we're getting there. And the same thing with Hera and Sabine Wren. I was like, yeah, I, I feel like we're getting characters, character caricatures of the character, but I don't really feel like that you are the character. And that's also a balance that I've been dealing with as I'm watching the show. So hopefully we have two episodes left. We wrap it up. And I'm going to assume that we're wrapping up with a tease to whatever movie that Dave Filoni is working on. Okay. So there's that. I do recommend watching Ahsoka, though, um, because I, I, I'm really just interested to see how they wrap things up. So to see if it was actually worth the journey or was it a little bit of a disappointment. So, so far, we're kind of riding that 50-50 line right now because I'm not, I'm not thrilled with everything they've been doing. But these last two episodes have been really fire. So okay. there's that. Um, 
I also watched uh, Still, a Michael J. Fox movie, the documentary that's on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, I thought it was a really good documentary. It gets the perspective from Michael J. Fox on kind of his journey of his acting career, how he started all the way over to his Parkinson's or getting diagnosed with Parkinson's and kind of dealing with that into his career as well. My only problem is that as a Back to the Future fan, there's a lot that I already knew. Mm. So watching this documentary, I was kind of really hoping for the kind of life after he got diagnosed and kind of focusing on how he's been dealing with it and going back into acting and his personal life that follows. But we kind of just got a five minute overview of that toward the end. Mm. And so I felt like that if you didn't know much about Michael J. Fox and was curious about his journey, then this is a great overview of of his career. But if you're looking to get more deeper into it, then it doesn't do that. But I still enjoy the documentary for what it was. I was just hoping for a little bit more deeper stuff. Mm. That's unfortunate. Yeah, again, mainly because I, I'm familiar with the actor. It's based on my favorite movie. You kind of, you know... You know it's kind of an association with Back to the Future. You know, you watch. Yeah. Um, you know about the you know about the actors. But you know, as well. they're making that. They're under the assumption that if you're watching this, and there's so much other stuff already out there that you probably have already seen some of it. Like, are like, yeah. this should be offering new information in addition to all the other documentaries, not in place of the documentaries. Right, and I do feel like that it gave me like maybe ten percent of stuff I didn't know. Mm. So, that's just coming for me. There could be a hundred percent of people. There could have been 100% for somebody else, but for me, it was like 10%. Oh, okay. Uh, so there was that. Uh, but it was still a good documentary. I still really enjoyed it. Um, I watched two movies after that. I watched Bones and All. I'm not sure if you remember that movie. It was it's it just hit Amazon Prime. Um, it is a kind of a romance movie with a twist. It was an it was a movie that got really rave reviews at a festival. It starred Timothy Chalamet. And it was an, uh, kind of early contention for, for the Oscars. It ended up not getting awarded or getting nominated for anything. But it took a while to get to streaming. It just got here. I watched it. And boy, was that an interesting ride. <laughs> Good or bad? The, the, I, I don't know yet. Uh, <laughs> there was uh, the first couple minutes of the movie, I feel like, okay, it's going to be a weird one. It's like I feel like it's like it was shot interestingly. It was like a movie that I felt like it was just going to be a slow burn and I wasn't going to care for it. And then after eight and a half minutes in, it does something. And I was like, the fuck was that? <laughs> and then the rest of the movie was like, OK, I totally forgot what this movie was about. <laughs> and I'm watching it. I was like, OK, that's that's interesting. It's. It's an interesting movie, to say the least. I don't want to kind of give anything away. Oh, it kind of says it in in the. Well, just. I didn't even realize it took place in the 1980s. I couldn't. I did not get that distinction. <laughs> so you weren't all. you weren't able to. So all right, the film is. Let's see, Bones and All received positive reviews from critics who praised his performance of, of Russell Chalamet, Mark Reliance, Gudi Guino's direction. I'm sure I fucked that up. Cinematography is scored yeah. in a fusion of genres. Found the graphic violence in the can. Oh, I guess that's what's giving it away. The cannibalism yeah, and violence. Yeah. So yeah. I said, however, the critics found the the film's graphic violence and cannibalism to be, uh, to be to be too disturbing. I can get that. It was definitely that was the twist of it all. <laughs> was that these these teenagers have 
cannibalistic tendencies that were given to them by birth somehow. Ooh, bones and all. And oh, that's because so, that 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 means that title makes more sense now in a in a yep. in a more disgusting way. Yeah, oh. it gets it get it gets to that. It gets to that. It's said in the eighties, um, controlling her cannibalistic urges, she leaves her home and embarks on a road trip across the U.S. Searching for her mother, trying to understand her own identity. Along the way, Mary meets Lee, played by Chalamet, a young man who's also a cannibal. The two fall in love and begin a journey of self-discovery together. Oh, isn't that cute? They must also confront the dangers of the world and the people who want to hunt them down. Probably for eating people. Uh, bones and all. Well, it's, it, it's funny that you said that because the people that are hunting them down are not – are also cannibals. <laughs> Both it all is a dark and disturbing film, but also a beautiful and moving love story. If it's a movie that will sit with you long after you've seen it, is that because of all the people that they were eating, like, and how gross it is? I I will say that there, depending on what you're looking for in the movie, it definitely, uh, it it definitely is lingering in my mind. So I guess there's that. The same director who did this did Call Me by Your Name, which was also starring Timothy Chalamet. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting love story for sure. And I don't know if it works as, cause I think it's then, then classified as a horror movie as like a horror film as well, because of its graphic nature. I will say though, that Mark, uh, Rylance, mm-hmm. he did a phenomenal job. He, he should have been nominated. Like, honestly, if this was an early contention for like for, for, for the Oscars, I would have 100% replaced this movie over Tar, for example. Mm. Like if, if, but obviously that didn't happen. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I don't. It, it's definitely something that if you weren't mentally prepared for it, it can definitely get you off guard. But if you can lean into it, then I guess you can find something out of it. But I didn't really care for it as a love story. I was more interested in the cannibalism of it all. And even in that that way, it kind of ended strangely as well. Like the movie ended and I feel like it ended really up in the air. Like, I don't know. It wasn't really an ending. Mm. So therefore, I didn't really get much out of it by the end of it. So, well, so there's that. Sounds like I don't have to waste my time. <laughs> 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 in um, the last movie that I watched and something that you had recommended that I, based off the trailer, completely wrote off. And you're like, no, you have to watch this movie. And it finally hit Amazon Prime. And it's Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, or the, 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 the Cov, the Cov, Covenant. You said it right. I think that's what it is. Did I say it right? Guy Ritchie. Is it The Covenant? The Guy Ritchie film? Yeah. Is it The Covenant or The, or The Covenant? Hold on. Let me see. It is. You watch this movie in theaters. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The Covenant. No, you said it right. With Guy Ritchie oh, and right? Jake, okay, yeah, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal and Dar Salim. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I saw that movie. Holy shit. How fucking good is, is that movie? It's so intense. So intense. And it, and it's funny because at the beginning of the movie, I felt like that this was like I, I prejudged it. I prejudged it with the trailer and I prejudged it with the beginning of the movie. I just felt like, okay. This is going to be your war movie. I know what the premise is. I know how it ends. 
I'm just going to see the events play out, and it's going to be that kind of movie. But Ernesto said it was good, so I'm going to watch it. And I was probably eating my words within the first 15 minutes because <laughs> it, it's all about, again, even though you may know the context of the story, it's all about how you tell that story. And, man, they like that's Guy Ritchie's at his finest. Like I praised Wrath the Man that came out, I believe, in 2021 mm-hmm. or 2020, and that movie was incredible. And this is like the same level of Guy Ritchiness that he put into that movie that he put into this one. It was like so intense, so gritty. Just the music really helped with it. And I was like, I was edge of my seat. I was like, holy shit. I also loved about that one is is that it also has some basis in reality because it, it uses our withdrawals in Afghan Afghanistan as a basis as like the base for the film, which I thought was a great way to give us that. Um, I mean, the story, it's not a true story, but it's, it was a great way to highlight what happened and what our withdrawal looks like and like what some of those ramifications look like. Cause then they, they also give some accounts towards the end, if I remember correctly, where they kind of, they talk about the withdrawal and like how the people were affected there. Was that really not a true story? I thought it was. Let me, let me confirm. I mean, if it wasn't good for him to, to deliver that type of story, because I mean, nothing said that it was a true story. So I guess I kind of make my own distinction that I assumed anyway, that this was a true story. Well, let's, uh, let's ask, let's ask our, uh, our, let's ask our internet friend here. <laughs> right, Is not a true story. Cabinet. Is it 2023 action American thriller release 2023? Well-made, entertaining films. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Is it a true story? No, it's not a true story. It's a fictional film based on the real experiences of hundreds of interpreters and soldiers during the war in Afghanistan. Director Guy Ritchie said that he was inspired to make the film after watching several documentaries about the war and being struck by the bonds forged by the interpreters and their colleagues in the American military. While the film is not based on one specific true story, it does depict many of the realities of the war in Afghanistan, including the dangers faced by both soldiers and interpreters, the challenges of communication and cultural understanding, and the importance of teamwork and camaraderie. The Covenant is a powerful and moving film that pays tribute to the courage and sacrifice for those who served in Afghanistan. It is a film that is sure to stay with you long after you've seen it. I really love how this Google AI like kind of adds some, it like adds some like it like it adds some personality on it. Like it really like it's like I feel like I'm talking to a person. Like look, this is what yeah. this is what the humans told me to write. <laughs> yeah, but also I think this I think by now knowing that this is not based on a true story made this movie even better. Yeah, but I but I think be even though it's not a true story itself, but what it's based like obviously what we just read yes. the idea that it's based off of Israel. And I think that's what makes it more entertaining because then you don't have to be hung up on. Well, did that, which I get hung up on sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of it. It's like, right. Well, that didn't really happen. That didn't really happen. Well, that's out the window. We're just taking the, like maybe that's what we need more. And that's what we need more of for original ideas. Take real things that are happening and take that, that theme of that thing and give us a story with that thing in the middle. So that we don't have to be bogged down by, is this the real story? Is this fabricating? Are you just trying to make this person look better? Are you mis- right. Are you mis? We we don't have to worry about if you're misrepresenting the truth. Then you could just focus on what part of the story is the most interesting that you wanted to showcase to the world. 
that's kind of that's kind of why I appreciate this film so much. That's re- that's why I remember why I liked it so much. Yeah, and also Martin Corsese, Guy Ritchie's doing the work. Yeah. He's fighting the good fight. All right, so you know there are filmmakers doing it. Now, granted, this movie didn't make as I I don't remember as far as box office numbers if it actually tell you, right now. you know made an, a dent in it, um, but. As far as the movie itself, it was it was great. I thought it was fantastic. So let's see. Its numbers are. It's only uh, here we go. It grossed twenty one point eight million as of the as of September twenty six. It grossed sixteen point nine in the U S and Canada and four point nine in other territory territories. The film was released in the U S on the twenty first. Uh, let's see. It get 2.2 on its first day. It went on to debut 6.3 million, finishing third behind Super Mario and Evil Dead Rise. In its second weekend, it made 3.6, a drop of 43%. Damn, it dropped all the way to ninth place in the second week, which is crazy. Like, Yeah. Because, but the movie, I think maybe, it, so it was released around Super Mario. So that, that would be why. It right. was just oh, completely overshadowed at the box office. Yeah, I would say by three weeks after Mario came out, people were still watching Mario. As I see here, budget of fifty-five million, worldwide gross of twenty-one. So, needless to say, it was a flop on the box office standpoint. Yeah. But as a movie standpoint, it was phenomenal. Fantastic. So, it's I hopefully it can find another audience in the streaming market like it did me, because I was kind of blown away what I saw. And so, yeah. Hmm, now you put two, it on my two list. thumbs up. That's one. That's one I want to watch again. <laughs> and and you should. You absolutely. It's should. on. It's on Prime. <laughs> it it just hit Prime just a couple of day, like about about maybe less than a month ago it hit Prime, so not too far off. Um, but yeah. Anyway, go watch go watch that if you haven't already. Um, and yeah, that's all we've been watching. That's all I got. That's all we've been watching. So now let's dive into our spoiler review of Troll, our Norwegian film by directed and written by Roar Uthrog. If I even even remember how I pronounced it, probably, you know, however long this episode is by now. Um, And again, it's touted as uh, Netflix's most watched non-English movie to date. Ernesto does. Should it hold that title? What is your review on Troll? Um, it was it was fine. <laughs> like it, no, it, it was it was it was okay. Like it, it it was a very simplistic plot. Um, you know, it's based on Norwegian folklore, which features many stories about trolls, and they use it. They use that basis where there's these mount there's these mountain trolls, and you know, it, it. I don't know if it was a climate change or if it was like a big business taking over but they were doing some kind of drilling or they were doing some work yeah. in the mountain and they blew it up and they woke up the troll of the mountain now set to wreak havoc on the town of oslo in norway uh so you know he gets up he starts causing havoc i did think some of the cgi and some of the action sequences was good like um mm-hmm. when he goes to the main city and they take the helicopters and there's that little kid there and they're ringing the bells and he just grabs that he grabs that helicopter midair like very sim, very simply, like, like the monster didn't have to do much, but I felt like I got a lot of emotion from this CGI monster. You know, like I felt like you mm. could tell what was going on with him 
while the movie was going on. But it was a simplistic plot. You know, you get the daughter, her father. They they used to go on adventures together. And he used to tell her about the trolls. And they grow estranged because he gets, you know, they discredit him in, in their society because, you know, because he's a loony for believing in <laughs> trolls. But it turns out he was right all along. And the government silenced him. <laughs> And then they built a palace wow. over the over the over the grave of the trolls. Like very simple plot. <laughs> um, it was fine. The action sequences was fine. Um, yeah, it, like not not really not nothing really too crazy. Like it was it wasn't terrible, but it also wasn't like overly incredible. I mean, yeah, I can. That's actually a really good, you know phrase to put in wasn't incredible it wasn't terrible it wasn't that incredible um it was just fine i feel like this is just a movie i've seen before and it was an amalgamation of movies i've already seen before mm. like the two big things obviously when you have big monster you already associated with godzilla and king kong so there's already similarities there but i felt like a lot of the beginning of the movie felt like transformers to me like the first transformers <laughs> where you you get the scientist and it kind of he kind of goes in and they you know i know things and you're stupid government <laughs> and you should listen to me and like you know nothing uh, i'm right and you should listen to me and uh like my instincts are correct and yours is too you know military and it just kind of goes on from there. It's like, I've seen this movie before <laughs> the, the helicopter scene you're referring to was 100% a complete ripoff of, of, of Kong skull Island when the helicopters are swarming him. Mm. And they, they even did the shot where it's kind of panning or like around like the monster as the helicopters are surrounding him and they did a slow-mo perspective of like him grabbing it, smashing it to the other helicopter. Uh, like the monster, you get the vantage point from the person in the cockpit to like to the monster on the side. Like the only difference was between Kong and this movie was there was no giant church bells attached to the helicopter, <laughs> which was a dumb plan. I don't know what they had planned to do with that. Pissing like I off. just didn't understand the. <laughs> You just pissed it off. I didn't understand. Like, was it gonna walk away? Like, it, it wasn't gonna kill it. I I just didn't know what it, what their plan was. And you know, the the troll was like, you know, whatever. And like, it stunned me. But then they just destroy everything after that. Um, I think it was their idea of like trying it because they had these. They were already. They're like, all right. So we believe in the folklore. We know this thing is real. Let what are some of the things that the folklore says? It's like, oh look, church church bells piss them off. Like, doesn't say that it kills him. <laughs> just says that it pisses him off. Let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then we saw what we happened. We quickly found out uh, what happened. I felt like the the dad dying was too quick. Very anticlimactic. I, I, I do, it was very anticlimactic. It was, there was like an unnecessarily slow-mo for it. It's not like that the... The, the, what also would bother me is that the, it's not like the slow-mo was typically there for like the dad making a sacrifice. Typically those so, slow motion moments are due to a sacrifice for the character to make the other characters live on. And this one, it just he just happened to be in the way of the troll 
Like it was trying to calm it down. Like somebody shot the troll and then the troll was just moving, like turning around and, and the dad got hit and then he died. So it was like, there was no real reason, no real sacrifice. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and died. And then he goes, and then, and then it he was dies like, and goes, the palace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it was like, at the, at, the, at the end of the day, it was just motivation for our main character to be alone. Like you could have still had your dad in that whole movie and the movie would just been the same. You know what I mean? It's it's like I feel like his death meant nothing for the overall story. Well, I mean, even in general, I just felt like the character, the main character, like she what what was her journey? Like she she was an adventure with her dad, then she became a paleontologist, then they bring her on for this for to help find the troll. Then her and her dad, like the whole what what did she learn? Like, oh, daddy was right. Like that whoa, oh okay. Yeah. That that was That's that it. was your lesson. That was your that was your that was your journey. Daddy was. I should have listened to my dad. Like there was no more of like honoring legacy of like they like they couldn't even they could have even gone the route of like like really like diving into the trolls and the movie's already been greenlit for a second one, which is kind of weird. Like I, I felt like the story was just maybe that's what it is because it's just like a popcorn. This is like a popcorn film. Yeah. it's not maybe there. It's not supposed to have depth. You know, it's maybe, I mean, some, the CGI was cool. It was a big ass troll. I mean, they made that thing like 400, <laughs> 500 feet. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, some of the aspects were cool, but to your point, if you're looking at this as your popcorn movie, it's just like, I've seen, it's like, I've, I've eaten this popcorn already. It's, it's this, it's like, it's the same butter that I get every single time. There isn't much to go off of. It's not like you get that one piece like, Oh, this tastes a little different yeah. that I, it's like, it's not like you added like, I don't know, like any type of flavoring to it, you decided to, uh, maybe I was expecting something just a little bit different, um, for, I believe this is Norwegian's first like big monster movie, which good for him to kind of intro, you know, kind of pushing the way forward for Norwegian film to have this type of, um, story. And, you know, for, for that case, I can see why it became popular for people to want to watch it. Um, but for movies that we've seen like this before, it just didn't come across as anything special. And to your point, after, what, 10 months? Yeah, nearly one year after its release, Netflix has ordered a sequel to Troll. Um, the director's coming back. It's coming back with the same writer. So, uh, I mean, it definitely teed up for a sequel, for sure, by the end credit scene. Uh, we just know that there are more trolls out there. But really, the troll that we got in this movie didn't die. I don't think it died. It's just, it, it just, it just hit the stone because it hit sunlight. Like, is it dead? I don't, I don't think so. I feel like I, I almost hundred percent guarantee this movie is going to start off with that troll being an edge in stone as a tourist attraction. It did seem like that they were going to do that. But then do you see, mm -hmm. do you see the troll reawakening or is he, or is he encased in there forever? Is he dead or is somebody going to like put something on him that like breaks the shell so he can break out? I don't know. Yeah. Because I, I honestly, that's what I would do. Like, yeah, that, that troll is going to live on again because you try to give it like we try to, you try to give it a story where we felt bad for the troll. Like it wasn't its fault in certain aspects of it. So we felt sympathy for the troll, but we didn't explore any reasons of why I care about this troll or these people rather. Mm. So like, 
at least for for Kong, he the Kong showed mercy to certain people, and the ultimate goal is don't fuck with King Kong, <laughs> and he won't fuck with you. But I didn't get that from this movie at all. It's like the monster showed mercy to the kid because it saved the helicopter, so it has some humility. But that was it. After that, it, it <laughs> they used it against him because he was like, the troll's going to go to the palace to find the bones of, of his remaining ancestors. And then they used those bones to lure them into a trap. <laughs> so, so obviously the humans didn't even respect that either. So what am I supposed to get out of any of these people? Like, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't get much out of it. Yeah. Like I, I didn't know what we were supposed to use it for. Um, I thought another cheesy line was, I, I mean, I think these are dwarfs, not trolls to say this, but there was one line where they, they, they said, like they were like revving up the engine, and then like the the action, like the action line was the guy, and then the other, then the the lady was like, "Let's go!" And then they they kind of zoom in their car. That's something I feel like Mario would do, like "Let's go!" and then just does its thing. Um, I thought, like to me, I shook my head at that. I was like, "Wow, <laughs> that was such a stupid." Yeah, line. it's just like a, it was just a very cheesy action film, and I yeah. just felt like either either you got to go. I felt like they they tried to go in the middle. Like you either need to give us the emotion of the monster and really start from that from the beginning. So how do you do that? Instead of opening with the girl and her dad, we've opened with like prehistoric trolls like roaming sure. the land. Like I would have loved that would have been a really good opening. Like seeing the trolls and like if they had given us the voiceover, uh, even you could have started with them and like maybe they're sitting on the mountains and he's teaching her about the trolls. And then we get this like five to 10 minute backstory of watching the trolls in the mountains of like the whole Norwegian folklore that I felt like that really maybe would have set it in a little bit more. And then maybe we, we would have come in it from like, Oh, well the trolls are misunderstood as opposed to them being like, they came from the, the angle of, we don't know if they're real. It's very ominous. And then, like, the whole opening scene is them, him believing it. And then, like, you know, that massive scene in the beginning where the troll comes out and just starts messing everybody up. Yeah, but it also felt like that they, as as a viewer, they want us to kind of go along with the audience. Or, sorry, go along with our character and kind of disprove why, like, oh, they're not really trolls. But we know that. That's the reason why we watch this movie. So why literally the poster is of a monster of a of a of a troll face and you're climbing on it. So we're already coming into it knowing that trolls are real. So exactly. why do we need like I felt like they gave the audience this weird exposition that like you're trying to tell fake us out when we know if because if we watch this movie and there are no trolls, then it's like I literally just wasted my time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, to, to to your point, yeah, it's it's like we're trying to go along with with these characters being like, I don't know if trolls exist, but as as the viewers, like we know that already. It took us thirty minutes, maybe thirty to forty minutes to get there, and this movie's an hour and a half. So a third of your movie is trying to convince the character that the trolls exist, and when the audience already knew that because the reason why we watched this movie. So was it only an hour and a half? I thought it was longer. I thought I felt it could, like it, it could was be longer an, than that. It could be an hour forty, but like between the credits, hour forty one. Yeah. So I just looked it up. Put some credits on it, and you you know you you get your ninety minute film. You uh, could have easily knocked out. You could have easily knocked off like ten to fifteen minutes of this movie. Yeah, I think you're and right. St- you're and not- still got and still gotten the same value. 
yeah give I, us some I, different backstory like probably would have yeah. been a better film it was i mean but obviously it was it was successful enough because now we're getting a second one which I don't think I'll be on board for. Right, I was about to I'm say, like, are you, would you even watch a second film, like the second version I of this? I, I don't think I would either, um, unless unless they do something completely different, um, and and that's a trailer I'll have to see in order for me to convince me that the second movie is worth watching. Because like at this point, you know, I like in, in my head, like I've seen worse, like I've I've seen worse movies out there. This not necessarily was a bad movie. It's just a movie that I've seen. A bunch of times already and you didn't really do any favors to the genre i mean maybe necessarily didn't need to be but as far as a viewer i didn't really get much out of it like there wasn't a lot of entertainment factor into this um or any surprises even like i didn't really feel you know engaged at all for these characters or for this monster um so maybe the second one can turn around maybe they can come in from a different perspective um, kind of very similar to like Transformers. I feel like part of the beginning of Transformers was like for the for the for the for the characters, like what are these creatures? And I feel like that's a better angle to go off of what are these creatures rather than saying these do these creatures exist? Because the military was kind of or the government in this case for Transformers was like, do we we know that something's out there? We just don't know what it is. And then through uh, Shia LaBeouf, we were able to discover who these monsters are. In this case, it was the Autobots and the Transformers and the Decepticons, and we learned about all the raging war that these different robots have. Where this one didn't do that at all. So, so are you are you not on? So you're not on board for another one? I don't. I mean, if I'm not, <laughs> I, I would say this. If <laughs> it, it wouldn't take much for me to to actually dive into this. But I guess in the sense of, like, the Meg, right? The Meg had one big shark. The Meg 2 had more big sharks. So if you do the same thing here, I'm assuming that a sequel means bigger. So therefore, you're going to add more trolls. And if you can give me something that warrants a good enough story to add more trolls, then you have my slight attention, but not necessarily my whole attention. Uh, so, again, a trailer would have to dictate whether or not I, I dive into this movie or not. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I agree with you. So, with that, final thoughts. I don't feel like we have much to say continuing after this. <laughs> no, but I uh, I did have AI pull up some uh, some 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 interesting facts if we want to go over those because I don't really have any other final thoughts. So I, I feel <laughs> so let's get to, let's get a little bit of let's get a little bit of interesting out of here. So sure. I'm using the 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 Google Google's version of ChatGPT called Bard. Um, so I pulled up some interesting facts. It's based on Norwegian folklore, which we knew. The titular role is one of the largest and most realistic depictions of a troll ever put to film. Okay. Well, trolls aren't real, so how would they know that? <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you know if it's a realistic depiction if it's not real? <laughs> well, well, Ernesto, if you, were, if you weren't paying attention to the movie, they, they showed us that trolls were real. So, You know what? You're right. I, I, you know, I guess you're right. So the film star Marie in Marie Willman is a Norwegian actress. No first one Norwegian TV stuff. An American film. She's in the Mar. Apparently, she's going to be in the Marvels. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. Production budget was about twenty million. That, that's um, actually shot cheap. In, I'm actually quite surprised with that budget. With especially with the amount of CGI they had to do, that's yeah. actually really interesting. 
It was shot on location in Norway, including the Dover Mountains, which they talk about in the movie where the troll is awakened. So they actually shot it in the mountains, which is pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Um, that probably helped make it a lot cheaper because, you know, you don't really have to close off traffic. True. You had to deal with there's, there's very few, you know, now you think about it, there's very few city scenes. Like yeah. most of it is in like clear spaces that could be set up and staged by production crews. Right. Um, I don't know who the composer is. Um, it was a film released on the first. Okay, positive reviews. They creating a sequel. Let's see. The director said he wanted to create a film that was both visually stunning and emotionally resonant. Didn't get that. Films that expired him were Jurassic Park and Godzilla. But he also don't make a film that was unique to your Norway. I would agree with maybe Godzilla. I would agree with that. That that that, that I'll give you. I I'll give you that one. Maybe not the – I didn't really emotionally resonate. I felt like – I see where he tried to do that, but I felt like it was mm-hmm. it was diluted with what was happening with the other main characters. Like maybe we should have just did the trolls. If you had made the trolls a main character, I felt like I would have resonated. I would have gotten what you more of what you were trying to get out of it. Um, right. Let's see. The impressive creature standing over 50 meters tall. Weighing over a thousand. Wow, they weighed the CGI monster. Cool. The troll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was created with a combination of CGI. Oh, okay. Well then, all right. Well then, that's different. Now I'm curious of what the practical what, effects. What, yeah. what are the practical effects? So, uh, so I want to. I want what I found interesting is that the uh, you just mentioned it, which made me think of it. It says the film Titural Troll was is that 50, 50 yeah. meters. 50 meters tall. Okay. In, so I watched this with the, uh, with the, um, subs, but, but with it, with English dub. So like the, the subtitles were what the movie was obviously, but I watched it in English dub. What I, yeah. So what I found interesting was within the, within the dialogue of the English dub, it said that the creature was over a hundred, a hundred, a hundred feet to 150 feet. But then on the bottom of the, of the screen, it read forty to fifty feet. See, so it weird why, unless how now, they change, how like depending on how you watch it is depend. It will be completely changed, like on how you view it. Right. So like, if I didn't have the subtitles down there, then I would have not even bat, bat an eye of it because you know it, you said it was a hundred to one hundred fifty feet. But now it said it said fifty meters. So I want, I'm curious. That's if, what they meant. If the me- Yes, yeah, I think that's kind of the angle so that I'm going I, at. So but I just, I just anyway. looked it up. So the practical, these were the practical effects that they used to create the troll. A full size, a full size troll model was built on. Okay, well now that's fucking cool. They actually built yeah. this troll. They built. They, it's physically built. It's fifty meters tall and weighed over a thousand. To see, they didn't. I feel like the previous response didn't oh, really do that. Um, they use concrete, yeah. wood, and steel. Wow. A giant troll puppet was built for the film. The puppet was controlled by a team of puppeteers and used for close-up shots in the, of the troll's face. A troll costume, an actor wearing a troll costume, was used for some shots of the troll. The costume was made of silicone and latex, and it was very realistic. The practical effects co- were combined with CGI to create the final appearance of the troll. The CGI was used to make the troll look even bigger and more realistic, and to add special effects as the troll's glowing eyes and the way its skin moved. The filmmaker said 
they wanted to use as many possible as many practical effects as possible to create the troll as they felt would make the creature look more believable they wanted to pay homage to classic monster movies of the past like jurassic park which have used practical effects to create their monsters monsters no okay you got me you got me a little bit on that one that that's pretty i'll give it to you that's that's pretty that's pretty cool so they actually built the troll okay so, but also under the budget of twenty million dollars, that's pretty impressive to do it on such a low now budget. That like that information will make me want to go watch the second one. Now knowing that they're using practical effects, I guess I didn't really. It mm-hmm. looked completely CGI on film, so I didn't even think it did. I didn't even think that that would be a thing. But it looks like they took what they made and just scaled it up. Like that's a CGI. That yeah. They did. Well, then that's okay. Okay, troll. Okay. Okay, Joe. I would no, um, like literally knowing that that makes that would make me want to watch the second one just to see the work that they did to create the monster for the second one. That's interesting. That should be like that should be part of the marketing. <laughs> it's kind of like how uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was, you know, the make the behind the scenes was part of the marketing of the film. Correct. I feel like to your point, this should have been the marketing of the film. I remember um, there is a movie called. Oh my god, I it was Oh, what information uh, do you have on it, this movie? Uh it it also featured a giant tree monster used practical effects. I've seen behind the scenes of this before. It was quite incredible. Um All right. Man, a giant tree monster with practical effects. Let's see. Let's see. The 2016 movie A Monster Calls refer- features a giant tree monster that is created using a combination of practical effects and CGI. Gotta yep, love. that's the one. Gotta love the internet. <laughs> the filmmakers use. Um, practical- yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, like that. That's it. Like that. Like knowing the practicality of the effects reminded me of of that movie and what they did to achieve it. Like they built like this giant practical arm to like grab the kid out of a bedroom. Um, so, so yeah, I thought it was like, that reminds me of that, but either way, I think the use of practical effects should be used more in cinema, but to your point, I'm not sure if it's to its credit or not, but I also thought it was fully CGI. So is that a good thing they know it was practical or did, like, did they do their job to make it seem like it was seamless? Who knows? But I, I do feel like that that's something that definitely should be marketed into the next movie. Yeah. Of like, hey, we're using practical effects, especially most likely since they're most likely to be given a bigger budget on it. See, and then, but then that's always that's always the problem. Sometimes they take the bigger budget and then like they get used towards yeah. the wrong thing. But sometimes when you're tied down, like your limited resources, you're able to feel like you're able to procure a better product. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like when you have limitations, you use those resources to be creative with it. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess to my final thoughts and to kind of what we've both been saying, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. We stand by practical effects. So you got to respect it. That's, re- that's a, that's, gotta, that's a respectable respect. notion. It's a respectable notion that the movie has. Yeah. I, I think that's a good word to use. It's respect. It's, it's respect on practical effects, but maybe, maybe we should iron out some of the details of the story. Yeah. You got the practical effects. No, no, maybe just focus on some writing. That's all. 
So <laughs> some writing, like act, like I wouldn't even, I'm not even knocking acting. I no, thought it was acting was fine. Good. Like acting was good. Yeah, yeah performances were fine. Yeah, I, I think the main draw was the story and the fact that we've, I, we've seen movies like this before, so it wasn't really adding anything new to it. Um, but you know, a sequel could be good for it. Who knows? I don't know. But either way, that's our spoiler review of Troll and our foreign film of the month. Not every movie is going to be a winner when we pick these foreign films, but we're happy to do these. And we try to do this at least once a month. Uh, but if not, we try to do these as much as possible. It's trying to give us a different perspective on how movies are made outside of the U.S. So with that, that's all the show we have for you guys this week. Ernesto, tell our listeners what they can look forward to next week. Next week. I'm, I'm actually very excited for next week's review. We are going to be reviewing the new, um, uh, excuse me, Paul Dano's new movie, Dumb Money. Um, I'm really excited to talk about it. It's it's all about the whole GameStop trading and how a bunch of people got got rich and they kind of screwed over some hedge fund CEOs and and some stockholders. So I'm it's gonna be an interesting film. Like I have no bits and pieces of the story, but I'm curious to see how they display it in uh, in movie form. And to be honest, like I am a huge Paul Dano fan. Like I think he's incredible. I thought he was incredible as a Riddler. I mean, he was great in the um, what was the, the Spielberg movie we watched last year? Oh, uh, the Fablemans. The Fable, I mean, he was fantastic in the Fablemans. Like, pretty much everything I see him in, I enjoy. So, I'm all. I can't wait. I'm really excited for next week's show. Yeah, and also I kind of give credit to the director Craig uh, Gillespie. Gillespie. Yeah, yeah. He's he did a Million Dollar Arm, which starred um, John Hamm, which was a really good underrated movie. He also did The Finest Hour, also under Disney. Um, but then he also got a little bit of a headlines for I, Tanya, which starred Margot Robbie. Did he, he direct did I, Tanya? Cruella. He did direct I, Tanya. He also directed Cruella, which was Emma Stone, mm-hmm. also from Disney. So, And then he's also credited for directing th- uh, three episodes of Pam and Tommy. And, um, and he also directed four episodes of the Mike Tyson uh, limited series that was on Hulu. So he definitely has a good track record of making interesting, like interesting biopics. So even Quell is not a biopic, but like, I believe the finest hours was based on a true story. Million dollar arm was based on a true story. Um, definitely. I Tanya was based on a true story. So uh, Pam and Tommy was definitely based on a true story. Mm. So yeah, I think he's taking his, his skill and hopefully he puts it in into good use for dumb money. And also it has a stacked cast. Absolutely. I mean, Pete uh, Davidson, Seth Sebastian. Logan, yeah. Sebastian Stan. Uh, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, America Ferreira, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman uh, you said Seth Rogen, Seb- uh, Shaylee Woodley, um, Clancy Brown. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he definitely have some winners here to kind of back up what his movie is. So I'm looking forward to it. I feel, I feel like it's one of those I'm and now I could be putting high expectations on it, but I'm expecting somewhat of the level that I got from air in it. Yes. Like a yeah. really, yeah. a really good biopic. So hopefully it can match that level, but I guess we'll have to wait till next week to find out. Um, but with that, if you want more from us, you can always find us on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore bingers, our Facebook, uh, threads and TikTok page at box office bingers and our X page at box office binger without the S. <laughs> X. Um, 
really <laughs> uh we really appreciate you listening to us just talk about movies each and every week we really have fun doing it and we really do appreciate you listening to us just do that come back next week for more movie fun you're not gonna regret it and for that i've been your host matt diaz and ernesto santos see ya